boomers, it's time once again for another installment of your favorite fortnightly <laughs> fun times with the... Now I'm trying to be like Dave, I'm trying to mix it up whenever I should just stick to what I know. Your Sega-stational online guide to the world of Sega in the 1990s and the UK's official Sega comic, Sonic the Comic. We, as ever, are the humes who think we're in charge. My name is Chris McBeely. My name's Dave Bulmer, coming at you from unusual angles you don't expect. <laughs> <laughs> it's the summer, windows are open, lawnmowers are on. They're definitely on out there. Yeah, you hear that? Oh, there goes a car alarm. It's all go out there in the summer world today, whereas we remain safely sequestered indoors recording for your entertainment. Yeah, he's got a big jumper on. It's not even t-shirt weather over here, boomers. Yeah, but I didn't find occasion to wear a jumper that big in the winter. It's not as heavy as it looks. Looks ever so comfy. It's very loose. It's very baggy. Proper granddad jumper, that is. It's very good. It's very old and baggy <laughs> and thin. Same! Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know about the thin. And, uh, you know, spacious. You could put your finger through it if you hit the right spot. Same! <laughs> <laughs> Happy summer holiday, everybody. It's still the yeah. summer. We got Sonic in a big rubber ring of an amusing, I don't know, duck, snake, what? Uh, yeah, it doesn't. It well, I suppose it doesn't matter because it looks like what all rubber rings yeah. go. Yep, it's Carl Flint cover, sun, sea, sand, and dot, 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 dot. With the implication being that the fourth S is the man himself. Sun, sea, sand, and Sonic. Yeah, and it's Sonic in yeah a little. What do you call him? A rubber ring? Yeah. Do I want to call him something else? Is that all you call him? That's what you call him here? I don't know. Yeah. No, that sounds right. I don't. It's just I we never never used him when I was a kid. Uh. Armbands for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I liked a rubber ring better. We did have one eventually, and it was like, yeah, here we go. This is the stuff. You can relax with this. You can lean back on this. It's, oh, it's great. Well, yeah, but you, you're also in perpetual danger of just going shoop right through it if you're not <laughs> careful. Well, only if you're thin. Here's my eternal opinion, right? You remember when you're little and you're swimming with armbands and, yes. or a rubber ring and... Your bike, that's got stabilizers on it, hasn't it? Right at the mm -hmm, back, yeah. just because with stabilizers, if you if you tilt over, your stabilizers just stop you. Yes. Only pride stops us from having these brilliant things as adults that <laughs> that help the process of both cycling and swimming. Why on earth, as an adult, wouldn't I want to float in the sea? Hang on, wait, with wait, armbands? Yeah, well, yeah, why not? Well, armbands are to just to keep you from drowning. They're not for you to just simply casually float. Yeah, well, that's what a rubber ring... You see, I'm a rubber ring man. Well, well that's what I'm talking... Well, yeah, I know. If, if you look, <laughs> Well, no, I mean, what you want is like a lilo or something. If you just want to go and float out on the water. I am telling you that a rubber ring is what you want. Because a rubber ring, right, that is a lilo, except you're in the sea. That was the sea, we'll say. You're in the sea. You get to put your arms on this rubber ring because it goes, it goes up. You can get it to go up to under your arms. You're like that, lying back on it. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. You are lying in a little floaty bed. It's fantastic. Lying? Well... What is a lilo if not a little floaty bed, Dave? A lilo is a little floaty bed, off which you can topple. Well, that's fair. There's the yeah. There's a there's a whole wet dry thing going on with yeah. a lilo, whereas there's no getting around you're, you're, it with a rubber. Now, ring. now, mind you, I speak as someone who doesn't like the feeling of getting baked in the sun as well. Do you know what I mean? So I, I'm enjoying. Sure, sure. I'm enjoying. I'm a, it's a beach day. It's a warm day. I want to be in the water, not out of it. But also with a rubber ring, I can lie back. Hey, boomers! This is meant to be a podcast about a comic. <laughs> <laughs> but this is how it always goes. I just don't imagine lying back on a rubber ring. That sounds. I'm exaggerating. Strange. You're. It's more of a dangle. I know. You, you mean you're. Gently reclining yeah. against the back of the ring. Are oh, you leaning on it? You're leaning on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good size. And I haven't experienced that since I was tiny. Gimme. Why not? Why not? 
Because it's embarrassing. Is it? That doesn't strike me as particularly culturally embarrassing to, to just Perhaps get I'm, out uh... to Bogner Regis mm-hmm. and put a rubber ring round your belly with your knotted hanky and a hanky on your head. Over <laughs> your head and a string vest. <laughs> well, exactly. That's the thing. But that is what it conjures up, isn't it? Uh, but I could be conflating it with the stabilizer thing, which I still stand by. I think adult bikes should have those on because... What? It means you can just stop and not fall over. I mean... Although I'm told that it has problem if you're some kind of speed racer and you want to turn around a corner, you might want to lean or something. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. Stabilizers are just to prevent children from falling over. Like, yeah. as an adult... I don't want to really fall over! Well, you really shouldn't be falling over if you're an adult. Well, you yeah, just... but... It's gonna sometimes just put your foot out, like yeah, but you can do that. Little children's feet don't reach the ground sometimes off a bike. My little feet don't reach the ground sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sonic's not very impressed anyway because he's holding up his finger to the audience, the readers, and going, "Don't say a word." So he's embarrassed by his rubber ring. Wait, Chris, what if? What if my entire impression that you shouldn't have a rubber ring because it's embarrassing comes from seeing this cover of this comic 26 years ago? The coolest motherfucker of 1996 objecting to wearing one. Yeah. Quite possibly. Although presumably his objection is more to do with the silly little duck head thing. He's not got a ring. He's got one of those little kitty cartoon character ones. Uh, that's true. That's true. But of course, Sonic really shouldn't be given off about this because Sonic can't. As was proven yes. in continuity of STC Thank last you. issue, true to games, Sonic can't swim. Mm. So... I'll be frank, you little spiky little blue prick. I want to see some armbands or a rubber ring or something before you get anywhere near the pool. Basic safety. Or the sea, or wherever. Must be difficult for Sonic to wear any kind of inflatable thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you could at least imagine the armbands could get around his arms. How yeah. has he even got that rubber ring around his waist? Very clever. Now, the crab. So in the sea, there's a crab meat bagnick. And it's kind hmm. of, it looks as if it's paddling towards him with its claw out. Do you think he's going to try and burst it? Or is he just being generically angry? I think it could be that. Yeah. I think he's, he's coming to pop his rubber ring. Because he's on the beach, Sonic, in this picture. He's not just got a rubber ring on. He's still on the beach as well. Uh, yes, he hasn't actually braved the water yet. He's standing on the shore mm. and there's a, there's a crab meat, or maybe a shell cracker, hard to say, oh, I creeping tell, towards yes. him in the background. Yes. Also this issue, Starfighter 3000 and Panzer Dragoon 2 reviews. Four new stories, including Knuckles and Tails, a Sonic 1 Mm. Q-Zone, because we're doing that, that's what we're doing now, and Sega Channel News. (laughs) This is STC issue number 84, cover dated August 16th, but released on August 7th, so still safely nestled in the bosom of the summer holidays. The car alarm's still on, by the way. Whip, 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 whip. Still, that's that's going to be on the full record now, I bet. Hey, boomers, what better way to chill out on a hot summer's day than with four cool new stories, says Megadroid. Fortunately, the heat hasn't slowed down Sonic as he's joined by Chaotix in a new adventure, Heroes and Villains, and later, a certain hedgehog suffers a touch of anarachnophobia in the fashionable Sonic's world story new image. I liked that. I wanted to highlight anarachnophobia. Anarachnophobia. It's good, it's yeah. It's actually good. It's, they've uh, hyphenated it across two lines, so I had to... Thank you. You know, read it twice just to be sure exactly how they'd spelled it, you know? Yeah. Anarachnophobia. I, I wasn't... To make sure they hadn't just said anarachphobia or something. I'll tell you what, though. When I wrote... Because I wanted to make sure I remembered to point this out, so I wrote anarachnophobia mm. down in my notes. Not over a line, so it wasn't hyphenated. And it's actually quite a 
a confusing jumble of letters to look at without that hyphen. So you kind of have to stare at it to figure out the gag. But with that hyphen, I think that dash separates out the anorak from the nephobia. Sells the joke nicely. Good little bit of editing there. Presumably accidental. <laughs> we have discussed anoraks and the phobia thereof on we the show have. before, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk do it about again, it again <laughs> when Sonic's World comes around at the end of the episode. Megadroid doesn't really say anything in the control zone worth pointing out. It just literally tells you what's happening. Nope. So we zoom down then to the second half, because remember, everybody, the control zone blurb is the top half of the page. The bottom half is something else, and this time it's name that artist. Do you remember that back in episode 72, and therefore issue 72, as it says here, boomers were given the chance to win a page of original, totally unique Sonic artwork. The catch being, you had to identify the artist. And the winning boomer, who correctly hit the nail on the head by naming Mike Hadley, is friend of the show, Selena Thomas, from Warminster Wiltshire. Wait, that's... That's Selena. Uh, she never... I. Why has that not been mentioned before? <laughs> Selena Thomas, who has previously been a guest on this show. Couldn't tell you what episode. I'll edit it in. It's episode... 76. She told us about That's My Man. Carl Flint, That's My Man. And going to see him all at the thing. And she got attacked by a wasp. It was uh, That was fun. Um, yeah. Looks like that's who... Uh, that, that's it. They've spelt her name wrong here on one occasion and right on another occasion. I can reveal... Yes, I noticed that. I can reveal that... Uh, and, and within millimetres of each other, it says, Selena Thomas, Warminster Wiltshire, congratulations to Selena, spelt differently, who is a budding scriptwriter. Uh, I can reveal the first Selena with the E is correct, and the second Selena, spelt with an I... It's incorrect. Fair enough. Maybe they couldn't tell from her handwriting which it was and thought they'd hedge their bets by putting them both in. <laughs> so, uh, Selena isn't joining us today, but she has told me about this, which is that um, they just sort of didn't send the artwork for the longest time. It was... I thought you were going to say at all. It was months and months later. She describes it an extremely long time later that she finally got sent this page of artwork. And it was so long that they felt the need to apologise and explain themselves. They included a giant sew-on Sonic patch. She says, designed to go on the back of a jacket size, like giant, like full size of a jacket sew-on patch of Sonic. By way of an apology, they sent that along with the artwork, and they admitted that the reason they hadn't sent it is they just lost it. (laughs) 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 And I checked. uh, They did eventually find it and send it along with this sew-on patch. So yeah, she did get it in the end. But there you go. And so, as she says, basically, if they never found it, she assumed they would have just sent nothing and pretended it never happened and hoped to get away with it. Maybe. So there we go. Congratulations, Selena. And I'm sure she must still have it today, yes? Must do. She won't have just screwed it up and chucked it away. That's the worry, isn't it? When something like this, where there's only one of it in the world, is the prize. I almost go like, don't give that away as a prize, idiot. Don't give away... To a child? To a child? To a stupid child with sticky fingers? Like all children. I'm not singling (laughs) Selena out there, sorry. I am singling Selena out. All children are stupid with sticky fingers. (laughs) I couldn't have been responsible for something like that at that age. No, I'd have blue-tacked it to the wall. Oh my god! Oh! (laughs) The very notion! The piece of art I own is currently safely sealed between two thick pieces of corrugated cardboard laying flat at the top of a stack of stuff in a shelf behind a row of books. Stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying beware of the leopard. To keep it safe. (laughs) For a time we tried to contact him by radio. 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 One. Darnest noise ever. The UK's new music. 97 to 99 FM. Radio 1. 
Welcome to BBC Radio 1's live UFO Watch special. Uh, I'm Nicky Campbell, and basically we've been using a very powerful ground station transmitter to send a high-energy signal pulse out into space for a week now as part of our UFO Watch initiative, which you'll know about if you've been listening to Radio 1. And the radar telescope facility at Jodrell Bank has been, well, this morning at right about 10.30, get this, something came back. Now we've got some sort of a reply. Now what we want to do now is to get a clearer signal and try and pinpoint it. Heroes and Villains, Part 1. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, letters by Ellie DeVille. Sonic visits the Chaotix crew to warn them that Supersonic may now be running free in the Special Zone. However, the crew are unfazed by this news and have other business to attend to on planet Meridian, helping the Justice Brigade battle their enemies, the Discriminators. Sonic tags along, but he's left a bit amused by the whole superhero-supervillain brawl, unable to tell the goodies from the baddies, or why they're fighting at all. Then, when the police show up, everyone scarpers, and an exasperated Sonic is arrested! Kind of a weird one, isn't it? Now that I know what it is, yeah. <laughs> right. Because, like... <laughs> well, I mean, listen, I've talked vaguely about uh-huh. the period of the comic yeah. we're now entering, the run-up to 100. Mm-hmm. The end of where this is going is good. But the bit in between is the weirdest, archiest stuff. Oh, you go as far as to say archiest. Not like comp- not Strong comparing words. in terms not comparing in terms of quality of storytelling or no, no. craft. No, no. But in the well, I guess we've got to come up with something to fill this issue. What can we invent this right. this time? So it's you know? a bit horizontal vertical. Yes, basically. And it goes hand in hand with the frankly unconscionable <laughs> de-weirdification of the special zone. That is the, yeah, I am all over again uneasy about that. Um, so this is referring to the fact that up till now, the Special Zone listeners, I'm sure you know, the, there's bonus levels in the Sonic games canonified as this weird dimension that Sonic can visit now and then where really weird things happen. And always drawn as like odd blobs and shapes and sausages in the sky and really weird things. The first panel of this story is a load of interlocking triangles and impossible shapes floating through an amber sea of blobs Mm. and a purple ring of molecules around Mm. what might be a planet but might not, might just be some big round pink thing floating in the sky. It's always been uh, drawing from the backgrounds of the special zones in the game, primarily, you know, Sonic 1 and Sonic 2, where strange shapes and colours whooshed past as you ran along. And then run through the filter of whatever it was Jack Kirby used to draw that was weird space Mm. or whatever, yeah. A little bit. And then this issue is the one that reveals, no, this just the, the weird bit is just a bit. Mm. And then the rest of it is a perfectly normal universe. And the defining feature of this universe... superheroes (laughs) ah now have you taken that from this or from future knowledge of the whole oeuvre generally is it all superheroes from now on in the special zone well that's yeah but that's basically what goes on while sonic's in the special Mm. zone superhero parodies Uh, i mean there's nothing that's an overt parody in this issue but it's just constant parodies right we get spider-man parody we get x-men parody we get hulk parody we get the blues brothers parody weirdly (laughs) is in there as well and, and an assortment of original heroes and villains as well. Mm. But that, I mean, that's why the story is called Heroes and Villains. Yeah. And 
I'm not hugely looking forward to it. I have to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, as somebody who enjoys superheroes, it's just thin pastiches of them. I don't have a clear enough memory of this stuff because, as once again, I wasn't reading the comic at this point. Although I will say, I will, I do have to say, this arc does represent the point at which I, as a child, started to fall out of love with the comic. Right. You know, and keep up with it regularly by looking at it in the shop because, well, look. Uh, they ran out of games. Yeah. And that's what it was. They ran out of games and had to start making stuff up in a way that they genuinely never had to before. Whereas to me, because I I had that cutoff point where yeah. I was reading it, where the last vestiges of the game stuff, just ha- just they just managed to ring them out up to that point as coincidence would have it. That's when I dropped off. So to me, those first three years of Sonic the Comic are the ones that draw so heavily mm. from the games when in all utter absolute fairness the stuff that comes after it is just as off the wall and random mm. and OC do not steal as anything Archie ever did. Mm. Well it'll be interesting for me to revisit this particular story then because I remember this being a highlight for me I remember thinking this story and leading up to the finger point bit and all of that I just thought was fantastic and I really thought it was really really good and I I don't know how to explain it I don't know how to say it but I didn't know that this was meant to be superheroes. How do you not know that though it's about a team of heroes called the justice brigade you see there you go that's point one fighting guys called the discriminators that's point two you're saying that as someone who understands that's the sort of name a team of superheroes has and i didn't i've never heard of the justice league i mean i don't know that i had heard of the justice league by this point in my life either but look at them yeah so how do you lack how how is it that a man so married to Saturday morning mm-hmm. British television's entertainment yeah. has missed the must-see Saturday morning cartoon of the last several years, The X-Men, and is so culturally blind to the <laughs> idea, to simply the idea of what a superhero is? Yeah. These guys' character designs leave no room for confusion. Like, So it's not that I missed it, it's that I hated it. I really didn't like it because it was defenders of the earth again it was like aren't we beyond this now like it was it was so old-fashioned to me that i i didn't want to have anything to do with it i disliked it but this isn't such a wild notion then even to describe x-men the animated series as old-fashioned when in fact it was in terms of storytelling almost revolutionary for children's television yeah Oh, yeah, well, I mean, the first season of X-Men, literally, it's completely 13 episodes serialized. Every episode leads into the next episode. That's just not a thing on kids' TV before then. I wonder if that was part of what my problem was. Maybe I didn't see the first one, so I was like, what the hell are you talking about with all of this? And Possibly. I mean, each one was also, uh, apart from two-parters, each one was its yeah, of own course, story, of but it would always end with a feed-in to the next one. That's very interesting. I think I'd really like it now, and I... And I, I kind of intend to watch it except it is an extremely melodramatic cartoon in a very dated way sure. but but you know. <laughs> i might have fun depending on the mood but no so okay so i've i've got to be a bit more specific i think i think i've i don't think i've been able to explain myself because it's so hard to do what i mean when i say that i didn't get that this was superheroes i don't mean i didn't get it with superheroes i saw the capes i saw the masks it's more that God, I I really don't know how to put this into words, but, like, superheroes meant such a different thing to me then than they do now or even did, you know, a few years after this. 
and I suppose the easiest way that I can start to explain it is that it won't be for another few years yet until the X-Men film comes out mm -hmm. that I start to find out that when grown-ups say superheroes, they're thinking of comics. To me, superhero was like, this is a Sonic strip in which the arc about Supersonic is interrupted by this odd thing with the Justice League Brigade, whatever they're called. And previously there'd been an arc where the story of Sonic CD had been interrupted by pirates. Mm -hmm. But that didn't put us in a frame of mind where we had to think about Robert Louis Stevenson in any way now. That's what superheroes were to me. Superheroes, pirates, zombies. They were just one of the things. They were just one of the archetypes. There was no part of me that separated them out from those other things enough to recognise a parody of superhero, Like, a parody of superheroes? Why would you do a parody of of that? It, it's just a... I, th I didn't realise it was something that people thought of as... A genre unto itself. Well, essentially the property of two corporations in America and people who are either parodying those corporations or attempting to make their own weaker imitations of those things. No, to me it was just like, yeah, Spider-Man might as well be Father Christmas. I knew they existed. I didn't know they were from anything, and I didn't know they were from comics. And, and if someone had put a gun to my head and asked me what they were from, I'd be like, I don't know, it was a TV series in the 60s. I, do you know, it was only in my late 20s, like after the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy had finished, that I found out that Spider-Man wasn't like the Hulk and Batman where he had an, a long-running recognizable tv series in the 60s live action series that's what i thought the spider-man spider-man i thought that was from a live action mm. series because i just assumed it was because i thought superheroes were a genre that they made up for tv a couple of, like a couple of decades before i was born and that um in the same way that pirates were made up as a genre <laughs> no for TV. there they there they differ from pirates um <laughs> the pirates were made up for books yeah but that's the exactly closest as i can explain it Maybe I'll think about this more and figure it out, but that's what I thought superheroes was. So when you get something like this, I'm not seeing I, this. I've as... got to be honest with you, Dave. I'm still not sure I really understand what you're saying you thought superheroes were. I know. I'm so sorry. It's so complicated. You thought they were like pirates or what was the other thing you said? Uh, name it. Zombies, ninjas, spacemen. Zombies, zombies was the thing. So yeah, okay, but 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 what does that mean? Like that means you thought they were like ninjas. Yeah. So you thought they were just something that could turn up in anything? Yes. Okay, but they do just turn up in this, and they just become the whole focus of it. Right. But to me, my memory of the focus of this strip is Supersonic's finger. That's the final panel, mate. App apparently, but that's what my memory of it is. So what I saw this as. Let me see if I can explain what the difference is here. What I saw this as is they've gone into an alternate universe and what they are meeting is weird people. The fact that they have superpowers is like, yeah, of course they do. It's a comic I'm reading. It's a story for children. Of course some of them can fly and stuff. Like, do you see what I mean? Like, You didn't see like, them as inherently different to Sonic? Or basically, yeah. Like, they were just like alternate universe versions of the stuff we're used to already. And the difference is just like, I guess these have different costumes I, yeah i didn't really see it as being i guess what i'm trying to say is that now when superheroes starts happening in something like you may remember i was quite aggrieved when it happened in an early episode of the 2002 ninja turtle series they i recall they pivoted to an episode being about superheroes and i was like well this doesn't fit this world and i guess that's what we're talking about here 
But to me, it, it just... doesn't fit the world wherever the aliens made the turtles stand up and talk with the magic. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but that's the thing. You're occupying the position I am with this, with turtles, because I'm going, well, no, turtles is about one mutation happened in New York and everything else is normal. And apart from the, the aliens. Well, we haven't got there yet in the series. You know? you know, I think that's kind of what it is about us and turtles is weirdly the goofy kids cartoon version of Turtles that we came up with didn't do that. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of why we don't feel... It's like when you actually step back and look at it, it's like the the original comic's just a daredevil parody. Of course there's superheroes in it. That superhero story came right out of the original Mm. Mirage comics. But for some reason, (laughs) the Fred Wolf Turtles cartoon that we grew up with did that in one episode... And the whole joke of the episode was like, you mean he's real? The superhero that Michelangelo reads about in his comic books is real? And I'm like, this is a world where a talking alien brain (laughs) gave a man dressed in cheese graters magic ooze to make his ninja rival die, (laughs) but it turned four turtles into people. And for some reason, I'm able to take that story so deadly seriously that I think superheroes with capes doesn't fit into it. But this, I guess I'm looking at this and going like, well, yeah, like we're always being given stuff like this in STC, like Mr. Freezy Man or whatever he was. The like, chiller. Yeah, like stuff like that. He was like just that. a bloke, though. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? These are just blokes, but one of them can... I think the difference is there is like, <laughs> if it was just a story, it would just be a story and that would be it. It's yeah. not a story. It's the direction of the comic for the rest of the year. That is the reason this is an issue for me. If this was just a one... Like, so we're, we're barely talking about the actual story here. <laughs> I don't remember exactly how this story goes. Off the back of these seven pages, yeah. you would think that this story, which I believe runs to three parts, is starting to, or building up to, or going to say something about superheroes as a genre. That feels like what it's doing. This whole outsider's perspective, Sonic approaches it with, where he doesn't understand why they're fighting. Charming just like, oh, we're going to go and fight for truth and justice and all stuff like that. And Sonic's like, uh, uh, who's which ones are the good guys and which ones are the bad guys? One of the bad guys is even able to sneak up on Sonic and Mm. go, oh, sorry, I'm one of the goodies. And he's like, oh, right, sorry. And then he's belts him and he's like, no, stupid, I'm one of the baddies. And I'm like, Uh, hey, of course he is. He's a frigging werewolf. (laughs) <laughs> with a big tusk i love his yeah. jolly little face like just kidding actually i'm one of the discriminators <laughs> but then sonic's complaining because he doesn't even know what the fight is about and mighty says they're fighting because they're the heroes and they're the villains and that's what they do yeah yes it all does feel like commentary now it feels like there's some kind of commentary on the endless cycle of big two superheroics yeah. that they just fight because that's what drives the franchise and i mean i i know and i don't want to put like words in nigel kitching's mouth or (laughs) attribute meaning where there was none intended but it does feel like a criticism Mm. uh, and not not an inherently unfounded one of superhero storytelling by a man who perhaps was exasperated by it who knows you know then we the story ends with one of the baddies going ah cheese it it's the cops and then the heroes and the villains both leg it like they're just troublemaking kids who've been caught fighting in school and but then also, uh, it's definite, again, attribute meaning, uh, <laughs> yeah. death of the earth or all that. But the pigs show up. Can't be a coincidence <laughs> that the cops show up and they're all pigs, yeah. right? That's gotta be something. Yeah. So, yes, I, I know what you mean. You, when you read this, you kind of go, 
oh, is this going to lead to a commentary? But I think this is the commentary, isn't it? I guess it's, it, we'll see what happens. Well, yeah, I don't want to say yes or no because I don't remember the rest of this specific yeah. three-parter well enough to tell you. But it does feel like it's trying to say something. But we'll have to see how it goes if it is even able to make anything out of it. Because if this is it, that's nothing. That's just whining. <laughs> you're not stating any kind of thesis here. You're not offering a conclusion or any way to resolve what you're talking about. So we'll see how it unfolds. I do love the way it kicks off, which is that Sonic shows up at the Chaotix HQ going, you guys, the worst threat to our universe ever is happening and I might need your help. And they're like, yeah, yeah whatever. You know, yeah, whatever. This, don't worry about it. We have an appointment to keep. You know, it's our four o'clock superhero fight. The utter condescension of it. See, but that's part of it. It's the way that the story, like they don't, literally say it but it uh -huh. does very much sound like they booked this time slot to have a fight yeah and they're getting together because it's time for that because it's time for the weekly 4 p.m nose flattening you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that feels like commentary i suppose it is odd to go guys the most significant thing to happen to the sonic the comic continuity is happening and then they go sure but never mind that we're going to do this instead. We're going to do superhero parodies instead. Yeah. And then we do have something else for a while. Um, I, as a kid, I do remember what this was like reading as a kid. And, and my interpretation of it then was just like, oh, you know, oh, the world of STC is opening up. There's this other thing. I was quite excited about the idea of, yeah, no, never mind that. Never mind the thing that, that ought to be the biggest threat to the universe. There's grander things out there. And then we're shown this huge universe. I think I took these superhero characters to be just like today's example and then tomorrow's example will be something else and if as you say hmm. actually it's a lot like this going forward that changes it that's the problem i suppose it's a little hard to judge this single issue mm. in isolation mm. because we know it's not just that that's a, that's a very good point i mean i don't remember you know, I'm t i take your word for it i just remember stuff about supersonic and the chaotics and stuff but apparently it's gonna there must be something in it that i latched into so hard that I don't know that it made me think it was significant, and I'll be, I'll be interested to see what that is going forward. Well, it kind of feels like we're jumping a little to the end of this three-part story. Yeah. Otherwise, there's not a tremendous amount. This is all just the beginning of this story. Mm -hmm. It does represent one of the most significant status quo changes uh, to the status quo of the storytelling itself rather than to the world, and that is probably part of what's helped it stick in the memories of yourself and... Mm. and uh, and other fans too, but I did perceive it even back then <laughs> as a change I did not enjoy. Right. And that hasn't changed. Okay, well. And it's weird because I like superheroes, you know? Uh huh. But to take the comic and suddenly make it all about that and to have it be about pastiches of things almost mocking sometimes directly mocking in, in at least one instance mm -hmm. uh things that i was just starting to get into and finding very no. cool I was like, well, yes, why, why is course. this why is this all you have to say right yes of course i mean i wonder if they weren't trying to tap into that new surge of interest in this sort of thing yeah. uh this is 96 so i don't know if the spider-man cartoon had started on uk tv yet at this point but mm. um it, i think it was 94 in america so it might it may well have done but these things were the new kids TV phenom. This is what was right. happening on Saturday mornings was, was mm -hmm. the new episode of X-Men or Spider-Man. And I wonder if the decision to put this spin on the comic was motivated by that. And we know, because we know Lou Stringer loves this stuff. That's the thing. He grew up on yes. old superhero comics. We know that. And he's the one who does the actual overt parodies of, of real Marvel characters. Um... And they're loving, sure. But uh, 
I have questions. I don't know if I'll ever have answers. That's I just it's I have questions about why all this happened. Have we seen the Chaotix HQ before? Yes, in the Fundamental 4-2 part. A shame we didn't comment on it then, because it's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember what it looked like in that, but I guess it was like this. It's a sort of little building that sits on top of a rock, but then the rock has, I don't know, like an engine or mm, something? Yeah, they're clearly they're built into an asteroid, maybe, and they're flying that oh. around. That's quite interesting, isn't it? I mean, there, there are other things to comment on in this besides... The whole superhero. That there's that. There's the little note here where the Omni Viewer brings Sonic to Chaotix HQ, mm-hmm. and Vector takes the hump. What's going on? Since when do you work for Sonic the Hedgehog? And the Omni Viewer says, "Hey, me and Sonic go back a long way." And I'm like, "Yes, at least back mm-hmm. to issue number eight. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that's one for us. That's one for the old boys." Yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that they recount the events of Running Wild in a two-panel flashback. Yes. That's nice. I don't think we've ever had one of those before. That's a pretty classic superhero comic approach, too, you know. Instead of a little footnote that says CSTC's number X-T5 to YT-3, Megadroid. And especially with the little inset Sonic heads in the corner. Yeah, little heads floating in the corner and the the panels are done in monochrome blue, yeah. I'm sure I've seen Professor X narrating a flashback before in this same way with his head inset. Oh, sure, yeah. So to have that in this episode where they meet all these superheroes I, I don't know if that's deliberate or just a I fun coincidence or what it is and some you know just great bits from Elsa like that panel of the Chaotix crew posing mm. like that should be the panel that's at the head of the wiki page about Chaotix like okay that is such a good panel for Chaotix and also the second panel on page one where Sonic jumps out the Omniviewer just look how good every character is drawn on that whole page there's a lot of oomph in Vector in particular mm. throughout like he's got a really great expression on that page and then when then he and Sonic are finger pointing at each other on page three and yeah. he's got his big full mouth open look to him this and I remember doing this. This issue is the issue if you are trying to learn to draw Vector the Crocodile. That Chaotix pose page and him talking to the Omni Viewer with his hands on his hips on page one. Those are the two drawings you need if you're going to learn to draw Vector. One of the toughest things to do with any Sonic the Hedgehog character and successfully preserve their proportions. Mm. It's probably even harder to do today, given how colossal their hands and heads are drawn (laughs) today as compared to how they used to be, is to have them cross their arms. Oh god, yes. You can see that here, but he's just about managed it with Vector. Vector's shoulder ridges in this issue are quite something, aren't they? They are. His shoulder ears. (laughs) (laughs) They look like big ears and his arms come out from the ear holes. They're so big and tactile it's, it's like a baby's car seat <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can see it yeah yeah all the harnesses on a particularly big roller coaster or something it's the, it's this huge thing that he's got kachunks down over him it seems yeah very interesting shape vector brilliantly drawn and elson does a great job in designing the uh, heroes and villains too mm. you know they're not cardboard cut out uh, superhero no, comic book designs you know captain what's his name again captain tornado he's got the pretty standard uh, comic superhero thing like a one one color body suit that's then broken up by gloves and boots of another secondary color and he's all colored in blues and, and reds primary colors for superheroes then the bodies are all greens and purples you know this is yeah. this is classic stuff and it's accomplished very successfully but they're not all like that you know there's baron x doesn't look like a baron to be fair he looks like a, a homeless frog 
That's the thing he has going on. Oh, and he's got an X-shaped scar on his forehead. He's got an X-shaped scar on his head. So is he called Baron X because he's got an X-shaped scar? And that's that's a nice little touch, you know? Uh, What else we got on the baddie side? There's like a minotaur there. There's a guy who is a green humanoid bat with purple trousers, because green and purple, uh, secondary colours for, for baddies, that's how it works. Yes, and he looks quite a lot like the Grinch when Mighty's fighting him, doesn't he? Does it? a bit, doesn't he? Yeah. There's a guy who's one of those purple rat weasel wolf things yes. that Elson draws whenever you need to have a particularly stinky body. <laughs> uh, and he seems like he's got some kind of gun that could be a flamethrower. It's connected by a tube to a backpack. It looks almost as if he's in a full Ghostbuster outfit with proton pack, doesn't Bit, maybe, yeah. Then there's this one guy who's just an obsidian mass of black, <laughs> shaggy hair. So dark that the only facial features visible are his bright white glowing eyes, teeth, and tusks. Yeah. That's what's this guy's yeah. deal? Something I didn't mention when we were recording this, but I want to mention for some reason, is that this is where I'd seen this. When Attack the Block came out and it was full of these, I was like, oh, what are these like? And it's this. I wonder if Joe Cornish read STC. Go on the show, Joe! Or more importantly, go on the Adam and Joe radio show. And there's a guy who looks like he's in his pyjama bottoms. It's probably not supposed to be his pyjama bottoms, but it sure looks like he's wearing them. And he's glowing all over with energy. That's the thing as well. Richard hasn't just given us these random characters. They've got powers that he's Mm -hmm. spent a couple of minutes thinking up. Like, what's the red and yellow guy throwing like little eggs or something yeah i can't tell if they're actually like part of his costume on his shoulders or if they're all just one big arc but yeah mm. this guy he's got goggles and it looks like he's casting something they do look like slices of egg like a bird's egg but <laughs> i wonder if they might be like eyes or something yeah because he he's got those big goggles and maybe he can see through them oh yeah they do match his goggles and there's one who's a knight who has like instead yep. of a it looks like instead of a feather a plume on top of their helmet. It looks like it's on fire or it's energy or something. Oh, that's cool. So this is good stuff, you know? And then it looks like there's an evil bee there as well. And a ladybug too. There's a ladybug. Oh, and look at that. Captain Tornado. I mean, I'm sure this is a coincidence, but what he's got strapped to his back is precisely... Oh yeah, didn't even mention it. It's the big one. The big firework that gets strapped to Buzz Lightyear at the end of Toy Story. (laughs) Well, it's it's a rocket. He's going to fly. He's going to fly with it. Yeah. And he's a lion, is Captain Thunder. He's wearing a big full head mask, so but you can oh, tell yeah. there's enough mane coming out and yeah. he's got a tail with a big tuft at the end. Because of course he's a lion, because yeah. a lion is the king of beasts and a lion is a goody animal, yeah. therefore the leader of the goody heroes is a lion. Yeah. It's This is great environmental story. And I don't know if we're ever going to investigate any no. of these characters. I'm almost... By praising Richard Elson's quality work in yeah. designing it, I've almost turned myself around and made myself excited to learn more about these paper-thin stand-ins. Well, that's the thing. I don't know how much thoughts, like how much sitting and thinking and working out he put into it. Well, I imagine Kitching has probably provided him a full list of names and vague descriptions Maybe. here, and he's, he's gone off that. Or they may have gone back and forth on it. Either way, what we have here is a team of characters who, if it should so happen that someone should want to do a whole comic just about them. There's enough here to develop that out of. It's a bit like with the characters from the Eternal Champions, you know what I mean? Mm. There's enough there that, yeah, you can come up with an ongoing series about them. And I dare say the same is true here. And it's all just background detail. That's how good these people are at making comics. This is why I wasn't going like, oh, this is weird, here we go, here's a parody of something. I was going like, whoa, 
Who are these kooky characters? What's going on in this other world? And and I wonder if I'll do that this time, or if I'll be like, oh god, we're talking about superheroes and I don't care. <laughs> I'm not sure why Sonic is so put out by the whole thing, though. <laughs> other than to facilitate the apparent point of the storytelling to offer some kind of deprecating commentary on the nature of superhero stories. Because Sonic is a superhero who fights a supervillain. Is it just because, like, Sonic the superhero fights the human bad guy and these are all animal people and they should all be on the same side as far as Sonic's concerned. He can't tell the difference between the goodies and the baddies. I'm pretty sure I can tell the difference between the goodies and the baddies just looking at the page. I look at the colors of their costume, what kind of stinky animal they are, and uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, you know? So you're calling for Sonic to be more racist than he is and to to identify the bad kinds of animals. I'm calling for Sonic to have genre savviness. Because <laughs> Sonic is pretty genre savvy. Sonic is savvy in all respects because he's cool. Yeah. So Sonic's used to knowing who the baddies are because they are made of metal. <laughs> well, there is that. And he's confused here because nobody's made of metal. And of course, then the whole story ends with uh, one of these pigs <laughs> holding up his gun and grabbing Sonic and saying, hold it there, you're under arrest. And Sonic says, I mean, in what feels like the biggest piece of commentary in the whole <laughs> issue, and which kind of sums up a lot of my feelings about it, <laughs> one part into a three-part story that sets up the next six months of the comics. Frankly, I'm past caring <laughs> next issue sonic behind bars i can't wait i think i was responding to the chaotics here i think i'm going like oh wow the chaotics have got a whole thing going on the absolute utter condescension that they have when they are like yeah whatever whatever you know sweet cheeks talking about supersonic we've got actual baddies to fight it just paints them as these like either snorting old guard know-it-alls or champions of something we're about to find out what is in this new universe and and i was looking forward to seeing what but then what it turns out that it is is that it's just a meaningless fight between people who just perpetuate an endless cycle for no reason other than it's always been that way yeah so i think we got to go back to the old uh, snorting old guard uh, <laughs> comment that you just made there yeah they're just gatekeepers i am interested to see how the rest of these two parts unfold though to see if the story does have something it's genuinely trying to say whether or not i'll agree with what mm -hmm. it's trying to say is irrelevant I'm just genuinely curious to see if it has anything more to say than what it validly puts across mm. in these seven pages. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think talking about it has made me a little more interested to see what more it may have to say <laughs> than I was just off the back of reading it. David Gibbon throwing out the plaudits in this issue. Yeah. We got Panzer Dragoon 2 and Starfighter 3000, both on the Saturn, both scoring very highly. I went into this review zone thinking these are the kinds of games that don't interest me. Not as much as sports games, you understand. Oh, of course, of course. Those aren't barely games, you see. There's no, very, exactly. These, these are actually video games. Out of games, these are the ones. Um, because they're just ones where you're essentially flying forward and shooting things. But I don't know, reading these reviews, I'm, oh, I don't know. I'm quite excited about both of these games, actually. He's getting me. So it's Panzer Dragoon 2, which I always thought of as Space Harriers. In Advanced 3D, you're just going forward, shooting forwards, and I, I wasn't interested in this. But I mean, it is that, though. It's a 3D track, but it is that. It's an on-rail yeah, shooter. Yeah. 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 Well, what I mean is I thought I wouldn't be interested, but I'm getting interested. I don't know what it is. I think... Oh, I do know what it is. It's the fact that he says you can grow your dragons in this. The dragon evolution system sees your dragon start off as a small, flightless hatchling, which evolves into a magnificent sky dart 
great name for a dragon. That is a good name, yeah. I looked it up. That's the name from the game that they're given. And like, oh yeah, cool. I want to grow a dragon and fly on a dragon. Yeah, Gibbon describes the way that you can complete each level by choosing different routes, you know, and there's a different... But he, but he just describes it as having uh, uh, easier ones, worth less points, harder ones, better rewards. <laughs> but I was looking it up and it says, during the game, the dragon unlocks alternate forms based on the routes taken and your points accrued by defeating enemies. Oh. So it's not just that he... You pass a certain oh, number of cool. levels and it gets bigger or whatever, yeah. There are six oh. forms available, with a final form unlocking for the final boss. That sounds really cool. And that's what, so a couple of years later, you know, I'll be into Star Fox mm. on the N64 that has that same, you know, choose a better route system. But you're not evolving your ship no. based on which one you do. That sounds really cool. Well, it, he's given it a 93 here, and it, it definitely was received yeah. as well as that it's and nines back in the day so this is not hyperbole uh, on the part of sonic the comic you know not to not to claim that sonic the comics reviews of course were, were but uh, you know. sure no 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 and then starfighter 3000 seems like again like a similar sort of game but i yeah just looking at this i'm imagining it as being a bit more true 3d than on rails you know i think you can fly around anywhere you want 360 it seems to suggest that there are Yes, non-linear independent missions. I did find this review incredibly boring to read. My eyes yeah. were sliding off it. It's just talking about fed nets and oh yeah and it gives you a little lore dump that at go the start, at the end of ships and stuff. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you're start as a cadet and your aim is to progress to being a commander. Mm. Um, it says on Tinternet uh, that the uh, gameplay is mission based and involves elements of strategy and planning. The player can order wingmen to fly in formation and attack specific targets. Yes, as I mentioned here, of you having a tutorial system that teaches you how to use your your wingmen. Um, yeah, working with your fighter squadrons. So it sounds as if you can order people to do stuff for you. I don't know. This this sounds quite interesting to me. Gibbon has again given it an eighty six, uh -huh. uh, but looking it up, it seems like it did not score as popularly right. as that back in the day. Three out of fives, uh, mm. uh, seventy percent thereabouts, and a two out of five there in one case. Mm. So a shame. Weirdly, though, the raves and graves on these are basically the same. Uh, mm. uh, Panzer Dragoon Two raves, a stunning game. Graves later levels could prove difficult for younger players. And then the uh, Starfighter 3000, the Raves are, it's an addictive and fun game that requires thought as well as fighting technique. And the Graves are, some missions may be difficult for younger players. Stop worrying about these dumb babies, yeah. David Gibbon. Yeah, I think that strikes me as like a not having anything really to put there. Because yeah. when a game is too easy, that'll be the Graves. It'll be like, oh, this game's too easy, babies will play this. So, you know, you can't, there's no pleasing. <laughs> This is Patrick Moore aboard Eyeball. Is the Wilmero signal coming through? Any minute now, Patrick. Uh, Patrick Moore there, occupied at this moment with attempting to establish exactly where this extraterrestrial reply is coming from. Now, this is a day, um, people, you know, people can say they remember exactly where they were when President Kennedy was assassinated, the man first worked on the moon, John Lennon assassinated. I suppose as you're hearing us now, this could be the same thing. Knuckles. Village of the Damned. <laughs> part one. No, I'll not do the part one. That didn't sound so good. Part one. <laughs> Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Nigel Dobbin, letters by Elita Fell. 
Still in the process of lugging his chest of documents back home, an exhausted Knuckles stumbles onto a secluded village and finds lodgings for the night at a tavern. However, the sinister locals take a strange interest in the echidna, and in the dead of night, Knuckles awakes to see the townsfolk carrying a woman through the streets to be sacrificed. Ooh. This whipped ass! Yeah. Now you see, superheroes, ninjas, pirates. Yeah. Wicker Man. These are yeah. just things you can do. You can yeah. just do these things for a one-off <laughs> story in the middle of stuff. This is really well written. It's really moody. It's Ooh, it's so moody. It's not that it's not a story that could happen to Sonic, but it's far more of a knuckle story because he's more thoughtful. He'll he won't just start fighting at the drop of a hat. He will go along with it for a while to figure out what's going on before he's like, yeah, no, I need to punch some stuff here. He's also really tired. He he's just, really, he really sleepy. Needs to sleep, you know. Because he's still pulling the chest home. He's on a whole journey. <laughs> he is still the middle-aged rep of this comic, and uh, yeah, he just wants a lovely lie down. That's yes, the chest. It's still here. Um, when I was talking to Abby about this the other day, she did comment that she doesn't remember him ever opening this chest <laughs> well that oh dear that would be a shame it would be a shame so we'll see if that goes yeah, yeah that would really put a damper on the whole thing but <laughs> but only it put a damper on it in the same way that the anticlimactic conclusions to the metallic story and the brutus story mm. were unfortunate in the moment but didn't put a damper on how cool mm. the rest of it was yeah you know? yeah he'll get it home and it'll get blown up or something <laughs> Or he'll uh, he'll do the old cartoon trick where he he opens it and he picks it and it crumbles away to dust because it's so old and its secrets were not meant to be known by man. But I think actually he did have a rummage around in it already as soon as Plunder <laughs> presented him with it. So that's not going to happen. I like this bit at the start here where he says it's a pity he had to let Captain Claw, our little crustacean mm -hmm. criminal from the last issue or two, go free. But with Doctor Robotnik being in charge of things, there's no one I can trust to lock him up. Yeah, which is perfectly legitimate actually yeah. yeah and sonic wondered why they were running from the police in the previous story and it's like when his entire experience with police has been that they're robot stormtroopers yes that was a bit odd actually yes there is that isn't there yes but i thought i was being a bit too modern thinking that <laughs> it's the police but, uh, why are we running <laughs> i have some bad news for you sonic <laughs> But he gets to this in. Um, notice there's like moose antlers on the wall, which of course is normal for an inn, but I don't know, in a Sonic world inn, that could be a clue there's something bad going on here. Don't kill mooses on Mobius, they're your friends. It's true, but d did you notice that the stuff on the walls of the inn, that they're all wearing it Whoa. when they go through the town? No, later? I didn't. You see the jester's hat? Up there in the top left. Oh and my the god! And on the last page, we get this guy in a fool's outfit, and then just in the back, the ducks wearing the antlers. Oh my god! And the other stuff is like, if you are paying attention, it's a bit cultish. Mm. Look, there's a weird curly symbol on the wall on the left. Yeah, I think that's from something, but I'm not sure what. On the right, there's that kind of angry looking sun insignia and obviously the inn is called the green man you know the british spirit of the countryside you know that they're uh, that these haunted locals are all probably who are all farm animals you notice they're like goats and oh. roosters and ducks and horses and pigs and mice because it's the country it's rustic yeah yeah because it's rustic oh that's know? clever isn't this good isn't yeah. this good yeah, so they're probably, I don't know if they're going to, like, sacrifice him to the Green Man or something, but it's its that druidic 
yeah. view of the British countryside, you know, that that feeds into this. I mean, it is just Knuckles the Echidna in The Wicker Man. That's what's happening here. Yeah. Everybody turns to look at him when he comes in the pub, you know. Mm. I don't know if the rooster barman or, or, mm. or, or landlord is supposed to be doing a foghorn leghorn thing. Yeah, definitely. Because it doesn't seem like it would fit generally with the British countryside yeah, thing. But he does say a room, of course. I say, of course we have a room for yeah. you, my lad. You know, yeah. but then he doesn't do anything else. In the, but that's this first line. Room, of course I say, of course we got a room for you, my lad. That's the thing. But the rest of them definitely cannot be read in that foghorn leghorn voice. No. They're, they're just a quiet little country lot somewhere here, somewhere in the UK. But the, the landlord welcomes him in glowingly. Take a drink before bed. I keep the best brew in the country. He says no. Makes you wonder if there was something in the drink. Who knows? Yeah. He, you know, he, he really you know, welcomes him in. Great to see you. Come on, I'll take you up. Most comfortable room. And as soon as he's left, everyone else in the bar, including that goat in the background, yeah. lifts up the scepter that we see being yeah. held on the, on the final page as well. They'll say... It's him. He is the one. It's him. He is the one. This was brilliant. Seeing that said the same exact way by two different people, and (laughs) and we can extrapolate more people in that moment as well. It's incredibly sinister. It's very good writing indeed. They're not agreeing with each other. They're chanting something. It's fantastic. And then Knuckles is awoken in the night by a sound effect that says... Yeah. Uh, and he awakes with a start and he, and he turns and he thinks it's an owl because yeah. uh, there's an owl outside there is an owl there and it's like I don't know if that listen I haven't seen the Wicker Man in a very yeah. long time I don't know if that's in the Wicker Man but that's got to be in a film somewhere Yeah, where, where like there's just a vague enough you know you do a, a sharp cut to a mm. dead of night scene with that scream-ish sound yeah. effect the, the lead character wakes up turns sees the owl the owl emits an exaggerated hoot that sounds just enough like the sound effect you just heard that yeah. you think that's what it was that's what knuckles does then there's a proper scream from outside that's no owl he looks out as as the faint light down in the street marches further up the street closer towards the window and he looks out and he sees this full-blown haunted paganistic procession where everybody's put on the creepiest possible thing they could be wearing (laughs) you know one guy is wearing a full-on jester's outfit with the jingly bells and everything as you say the duck's got the antlers on there's that goat in the back with the scepter two guys who just the the pigs just put on it they're they're all actually no they're full-on morris dancer outfits aren't they the pig and the horse they've got the bells around the ankles and everything that full-on shamanistic british countryside white magic with the sign the green man and the eyes peering out of the the greenery and the painting of the sign looking down over all of it the moon and the clear sky in the background as they lug this black obelisk this Mm. black rock through the center of town with this woman tied to it who's obviously being and they're holding oh i'm sorry i neglected to mention they're all holding burning torches uh, of well. course they are I, we, of course they yes. are i mean you were already imagining that's why it wasn't worth me mentioning we you. assumed you, you do yeah <laughs> yeah cracking stuff oh hell yeah this is so creepy and i've got no idea where it's going yeah because this whole superhero thing really started to represent the point as a child mm-hmm. where i felt like oh and didn't pay attention so much to what was going on anymore apart from some like big notable beats we're basically at the point now where i've not a clue anymore <laughs> so i don't know where this is going and it's easily my favorite of the four strips this issue and i'm busting to read the next one <laughs> <laughs> yeah it makes me want to watch the wicker man again like i only saw it once <laughs> and i was too young to get it <laughs> 
That's it, you just remember Britt Eklund running around slapping her arse off everything. <laughs> Ready, willing, and cable. <laughs> cable, cable because you plug a cable. Cable, cable TV. I'm a bit sleepy today. This is the Sega Channel feature. Yeah, remember the Sega Channel? We talked about it before, ages ago. Back in probably. Ages ago. I bet it was episode 42, Chris, because it says here, back in STC 42, the first news snippets about the mega revolutionary interactive Sega Channel in the US was revealed. Following a UK launch in June. Cable TV customers in the southeast of England note that it only mentions one place in England. Yes, at this moment. Yes. Have been able to access 24 hour a day Sega activity. Have they really? Yes. 42? Issue 42? That's flipping ages ago. Stuck. That's so long ago. It can't have just been there. Hang on. I gotta I got check it. No, like. I know, yep, there it is. That's the new story. Subscribers to the Sega channel are supplied with a special adapter which connects their incoming cable TV line to their own Mega Drive console witchcraft. Sorcery <laughs> outrageous. I said this all the time back in issue 42 yeah. or whenever it was. I... Inconceivable! Yeah. How? How is this on a Mega Drive? I don't know. It, the Mega Drive didn't have the power to do nothing. No, it doesn't make any sense. It had blast processing, but, I mean, it's a big, uh, a dirty big cartridge. <laughs> it's huge, isn't it? Wider than the whole thing itself that plugs into the cartridge slot. It must be full of sticks of RAM, mustn't it? I guess. <laughs> but it also must have a thing that plugs into the... And it goes into the television line. That cart goes into the Mega Drive, and then this you you plug your cable TV cable into mm. this cart, and that lets you get an online menu where you get at games. Yeah. What? Don't know. What? Uh, it's, it's, In nineteen ninety six. Flipping amazing, isn't it? And it I, it it just it foresaw so much about what gaming is now that you just download them all off your service, whatever it happens to be. How did Sega lose? Everything. <laughs> and the war and and what. Whenever they were yeah. this forward-looking. Mm. Trying to have people download games in 1996. It's Clive Sinclair in the electric car. It's way too soon for anyone to, like... I think everyone was responding the way we are. Or, right, well, no, here's what I think is happening. We're responding to this in our brains of back in the day. In our back then brains. Yeah, going like... I can download these games. I want to do that. I want to play this. I want to, and maybe it's to do with TV somehow. I want to do this. I want to do this. But then you've put on your grown-up brain and you go, "This is going to cost a fortune." I don't know. It well, sounds expensive. Well, yeah, well, that's it. You're like you're not you're not downloading that. No, in, not in that, that way. way. Not in the way that where you, you you're it's time per minute in mm. the same way that phones are. Yeah. No, it costs ten pound a month. It's a monthly subscription. It's um, Dave. <laughs> it's a monthly. TV subscription service! <laughs> Sega were the architects of the future. They flew too close to the sun too soon. Yeah. £10 a month this was going to cost, which is, is less than some streaming services now. That is around the price of Game Pass, which is exactly this, but now. <laughs> Customers are able to play Sega games, get the lowdown on Sega news and competitions, as well as having access to tips and cheats. I mean, it's not even just games. Mm. I mean, no, nobody needs to, today, use Game Pass to get news and competitions and tips and cheats, because mm. tips and cheats aren't a thing anymore. No. But, 
It's all you could ever want with yeah, games in it, the 90s in one place coming out a wire. It still doesn't really explain what format those tips and cheats will come in. Is it teletext or isn't it? This I, is what yeah, I want to know. I mean, I'm assuming that's it's yeah. just going to be screens, mm. you know. Oh, but I mean, I suppose it's, I suppose it's possible they could be... Short-form videos wherein a presenter enthusiastically tells you how to enter the cheat and then you like and subscribe after you're done, you know. <laughs> Architects of the future! <laughs> it does say online that the hmm. subscription fee was £10, as it says here. However, only 25 games were available at any given time, which is roughly half of the offering in the US version of the Sega channel. But oh. quite frankly... I mean... 25 games. But I remember us learning in our first experience of the Sega Channel that you couldn't save. You could only play this stuff while you were online. Mm -hmm. So, of course, and saving is not a huge issue for most Sega games. But, you know, there's things like Story of Thor is specifically listed here. That was an RPG, oh, adventure action RPG, where you did save your progress on, so... Yes. Difficult to play through an entire RPG on a no-save basis. Not get much enjoyment out of that, yeah. An excellent option, it says, is the test drive section, which enables sampling of new games before they're released. Obviously handy for helping you decide what you're so, so downloadable yeah. previews and trailers demos. and demos. I understand why this didn't succeed. Because who had cable television? Do you know what? I, to be honest. Yeah. Before right now. Yeah. I couldn't have even genuinely mm -hmm. sat here and said to you, cable yep. was cable a thing was that a existed thing that, yeah. in the UK. Because it was all satellite here, yeah. Satellite, yeah. yes, that's what we called it. Yeah. I mean, and perhaps it was in that sort of situation where we called things that were cable satellite as well. Yeah. We called it satellite anyway. I think so, yeah. But Americans call it cable. Yeah. I've got another reason why this didn't take off, though. Was it? So this was launched in... A... You're not going to like this, Chris. Uh-oh. This was launched in America in 1994, which is a... That's a key year for Sonic and for STC. Mm -hmm, but now mm -hmm. we're past halfway deep into 1996. And even we, even we, have started to admit that the Mega Drive is looking a bit long in the tooth. You're not wrong. I had... It's... I should really have been able to come yeah. to that conclusion on my own. But the <laughs> fact that I didn't and had to have you tell me that does indicate how deep in denial I still am. And I should admit that I also didn't come to that conclusion on my own and was inspired by something I read about Sega Channel and why it failed. But look at the chart. We, we didn't do the charts in this episode because there was nothing interesting. Except for the purposes of this, you've got Sonic 2 in there, you've got Mega Bomberman is back in there, mm. Elder Statesman games, and next year is the year the first rumours about Project Katana start to spread. That's the Dreamcast. <sighs> This is a premium service, so cutting edge that we still can't believe it happened. But it's Mega Drive. It's not Saturn. They f***ed it. Again. Again. Sega always got it wrong. That, I mean, yeah. If I'd heard they'd done it on the Saturn, I'd be like, that's quite impressive. <laughs> yeah. But it's the fact yeah. they're doing it on the Mega Drive. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. It cautions parent humans that there is a uh, parental control that means they can't get into any of the bad stuff. I don't know what would qualify as the, <laughs> the bad, bad stuff. stuff. And also that they can put like a timer on it. Yeah. Now, I was kept on a timer on the Mega Were Drive you? for a while. Back in the day. Half an hour, I was only allowed. Oh, my God. Yeah. I know you couldn't get anything done in that's half an hour. barely a level. Eventually broke that rule just through sheer wore them down yeah. over time you know but yeah half an hour you can't get nothing done in half not an hour. at all especially if you can't save and then it says i like this it says um of course this means that when the youth of today are tucked up in bed 
all adult humans will be tempted to take over and experience Sega Channel fun at its best. So they're admitting that that's best. That's what I was going to say, right? They admit that it's at the best whenever you can get in the bad stuff and play it for as long as you like. Yeah, so there's some really good stuff on it. Yeah, they list a few... What do they list? Sonic and Knuckles, X-Men 2, California Games, World Cup USA 94, Outrun, Super Hang-On, Echo the Dolphin, Garfield, Sonic Spinball, and Story of Thor, each in their own little category. The categories are Arcade, Sports, Speedway... Family Room and Strategy Room. Family Room sounds like the one where they put everything else they couldn't yeah, quite... Um, that's got Echo and Garfield, according to this. So whatever they couldn't pigeonhole into the nebulous concept of arcade wound <laughs> up in Family Room. Yeah. Pictures on here from various sources. These are worth mentioning, yes. So the first one is a simple close-up of the product, the cartridge in the thing. The cart... And I say cartridge, mm. it is nearly as big as the Mega Drive itself. Yeah, Laid on end, it's like a gravestone, isn't it? Sticking about. Them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> with, with, with the Sega it, Channel name and logo on it, it may as well be already printed on it. Yeah, you just had to wedge that in the ground. <laughs> uh, and then there's uh, two very happy-looking children. Look at them there. Look at them. I'd be that happy. Do you remember being that happy? That, exactly. <laughs> He's got his baseball cap on backwards, yeah. the hair poking out through the yeah. hole. They're both wearing Sega Channel t-shirts. And his sister there, I choose to believe that's their relationship. Oh, completely. She's controlling tails. Fully, <laughs> mouth fully open all the way, as excited as any child can be. What's happened here is, and he's got his eyes open further than eyes go. What's happened is they've started on a five and then the director's gone wider you <laughs> mouth you eyes wider and again wider and again wider and when it gets to the point where the children's faces are about to just rip apart that's when the photo gets taken that's how excited they are looking like to be playing on this but then we get two interesting promo shots starring TV's Andy Peters. Yes, these other two are like promotional images Sega Channel have sent out. Mm. Whereas these other two are, are photos from the launch event that was held in London in June. Which I assumed was going to be a watchable video, uh, but it doesn't seem to have been. The, no. the reason I assume that is because... Everyone pictured here is TV presenters. It's TV's darling Andy Peters. Andy Peters. Have we told them about Andy Peters before? I feel like he must have come up, but I mean, to me, Andy Peters was the host of Live and Kicking. That's yeah. specifically what I associated Andy Peters with. But he was everywhere, you know? Yeah, well, I think he got his start in the broom cupboard. Damien, can you just all live in Streatham or somewhere like that? It makes my life a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, he hung about with Ed the Duck. That yeah, was, that's right. The Broom Cupboard listeners, that was the name of the little tiny corner office, which genuinely was actually the continuity office where the person who would read the, the continuity for TV would sit. Uh, and that is where they presented the kids' TV from. It was it was done as cheaply as it sounds. They wanted in-vision presenters for children's BBC in the 80s, and they went, well, here's a spare space, but you're going to... Ha- uh, Philip, Philip Schofield, you're the first presenter, you're going to have to actually do the faders, you're going to have to actually control the desk. He's like, okay, he did it. When he moved on to other pastures, you got other people coming in, and Andy Peters was one of those. He sat there for the 90s with Ed the Duck as his puppet companion. He then goes to Live and Kicking when Going Live, the Saturday morning magazine, ends and Live and Kicking starts. He's one of the presenters of that. I mean, I I knew him from then, but for whatever reason, what he is most associated with in, in my years is when he graduated to Saturday mornings with Live and Kicking. After that... He disappeared off the screens entirely, but he went deep into producing. He's like a big TV guy now. Well, he'd, he'd still do the occasional presentation thing. Like You'll see him from time to time, yeah. Here and there, yeah. Yeah, but he didn't do the Philip Schofield thing. He hasn't got a flagship mm. show that he's the presenter of. 
he is pictured here standing with Sonic and Knuckles, the correct Knuckles, the original pink Knuckles here in costume form. We've seen that costume before in the Sega boss. I tell you what, if there's any Knuckles on Knuckles' hands, you can't see him here, can you? No. They must be floppy and small. If they're there at all. If they're there at all. And it's literally just the two costumes in Andy. Those costumes have to be ronking a bit by the stage, Oof. don't they? Oh, They've yeah. They've been wheeling them out for a while now. Yeah. What's that? This is 96, and uh, you could meet Knuckles at the Sega bus in 94. Four? That's two years these things have been on the road. Because yeah. I don't believe they had more than one or two yeah. Febreze down the inside of that. Look, look <laughs> at the Sonic one. It looks like it's seen better days, even in that photo, you know? Oh, gosh, yeah. is that That's not just a bit of fluff. You can see there's like a crack developing around the base of his eye. Yeah. Where it connects to the flesh of the muzzle, as it were. Yeah, so well. Uh, but then there's another picture of Andy... Um, Sitting and doing that thing where it's like, oh yeah, duh, uh, it's nothing. I'm just sitting. I'm just sitting with this famous person. That kind of facial expression. Gesturing with thumb. This guy. That kind of expression. And the person he's pointing to is a small child dressed up as um. I don't know. Do we say gangster even? Man in black type. Man affair. in black he's, type. He's black suit, white shirt, black tie, black glasses, large plastic wig of a quiff yes. on his head. Yes. Because this is Reg. Reg. A character from the Saturday morning stream over on ITV, Scratchy and Co., in which that was what the presenters looked like. They wore exaggerated outfits and had big, fake plastic... I quite liked Scratchy and Co., to be honest, because it didn't... it was the limitation of my tolerance with <laughs> Saturday morning shows on BBC and ITV. With the broom cupboard, you got maybe five minutes of continuity in between the cartoons. Right. Could go for f- ages before a cartoon would come on on Saturday mornings. <laughs> yes. Too much waffle. Too yeah. many for pop acts and celebrity guests and cooking contests. Yeah. I would be flipping back and forth between the two, you know, and if they were on a good run, they would have the cartoons coordinated so you didn't have to wait too long when you flipped over before the next one came on. But Uh. Scratchy and Co. was mostly just mucking about. Yeah. And that was what was good then about SMTV and years after that. It was mostly just legitimately funny in its own right mucking about, so it didn't necessarily matter about the cartoon. Yeah. And this little kid was named Reg, and he, he was the... Well, he was the equivalent of the puppet character for, uh, for Scratchy and Co. <laughs> he was, He yeah. was the little guy who was just off to the side up in the background or whatever next to the main character, Scratchy, played by Mark Spate. Mmm, dearly departed Mark Spate. Mm. Performed by a little kid named Elliot Henderson Boyle. He talked in the voice of a deep-voiced adult man. Oh, yes. But he was a little tiny boy. And so he'd be like, I'm Reg. That's why his name was Reg. Because Uh, Reg is obviously the name of a large, hard man. (laughs) A large, hard man. Stop taking everything I say out of context. Sorry. If you would like a large, hard man, then write to Sonic the Comic, Tavistock Place. And the two of them are sitting next to a youth who I recognise really hard, but I can't place right now. He's a bleach-spiked hair boy of the time. We'll put the picture on Twitter, and if you recognise the... (laughs) Have you seen this man? (laughs) Let us know. And they did. His name is Simon Bright, and he played Baz, one of two Wheeler Dealer characters, the other was Bob, played by Andy Peters, on Live and Kicking. The Sega Channel is currently available via Telewest Communications in Essex and Kent. Great test markets for these things. Arrangements for the rest of the UK are currently at the negotiation stage. The Sega Channel will be available in the northeast of England from the 1st of September and the northwest of England from the 1st of October. And obviously, 
I looked up to make sure that did happen. And funnily enough, it did happen. Our research found a published report of a similar story. It happened. I was genuinely surprised. It was like, yeah, I, I can believe that that never bloody happened. And apparently the company was said to have been happy with its performance in 1996. Flex Tech reportedly invested a million into the project, Ooh. as the UK market was seen to be the biggest in Europe, with that is one a flex. million Mega Drive consoles purchased at the time. Uh, the company, which was Telecommunications International, who obtained the rights to do it internationally outside of the US, they did. They chose to use NTSC versions of the games and even used the North American ESRB rating system. <laughs> there were uh, technical issues which disrupted the service in late 1997, and along with the other international channels, <clears throat> and along with the other international channels, it was scrapped around this period, having never expanded beyond the initial launch regions. That explains why we never thought it existed. Essex, Kent, Gateshead, South Tyneside, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, North Tyneside, Liverpool, Nolsey, St Helens, Wigan and Blackpool. The very idea of anything to do with TV only being available in Kent and a couple of other places. <laughs> like, what channel can you only get? I mean, I suppose, oh well, I suppose there were local channels right up to the end really, but I don't yes. know. It's so strange that this service was only available in certain places. What a weird thing. And it's... It's completely lost to time. Yeah. Because the nature of the thing, we yeah. couldn't download anything, and it was all over the TV line. There's no, there's almost no record of any of the actual stuff. Yeah. Beyond lists and re recordings of where it was launched and announced. So far ahead of its time that it doomed itself. Yeah. Like, talk about your reach exceeding your grasp. <laughs> Tales. Sneaker Seeker, written by Lou Stringer, art by Rob Corona. Bob Corona. Colors by John M. Burns, and letters by Tom Frame. Tails is well chuffed when a friendly shoe designer gives him a funky new pair of sneakers. But it turns out that it's Grimer in disguise, and that the shoes contain a tracking device that a missile is now homing in on. Quickly sussing things out, Tails removes the sneakers and flings them at Grimer, who's forced to detonate the missile prematurely to save himself. It might have cost him his street cred, but Tails is happy to go back to his old sneakers. Harmless oil rot. There's not much to be wrung from this. I think we've said it a couple of times in the last couple of issues. Mm. We're getting now the creep in of mm -hmm. the stories that, rightly or wrongly, Lou Stringer tends to be remembered for, or the tone of stories that people are talking about when they mention Lou Stringer's name in the same breath as Sonic the Comic. Right. So what if Tails got some funky new shoes, but there was a bomb? And what if Grimer wore a bear mask? It feels like a direction change, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like, okay, now we want something harmless? I mean, when you say a direction change, do you mean a direction change like after we folded back the page with the staples in? Because the whole back half of this issue is harmless pish. Yes, it uh, it feels like we've, uh, we, yeah, it feels like opening another comic, and that makes me think, is that what they've decided? Is the second half of this comic going to be just some harmless kiddie stories? And there's nothing wrong with it as one of those stories. No. But it does kind of make you miss Streets of Rage. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's going to be difficult for us to cover this sort of thing in STC because there's nothing to pick apart. There's no continuity being built. 
and there's nothing incompetent. No, no, not at it's, all. You know, there's some very there's some very funny Adam West Batman some days you just can't get rid of a bomb stuff going on in here, you know. Yeah. Stringer, even though it's a silly story about Tails having dangerous new shoes that a bomb comes <laughs> flying at. Yeah. Stringer's not presenting Tails as a dimwit who can't figure out mm. why there's a missile flying after it. Yeah. He susses it out within the span of a page yeah. that there's a homing device in the shoes immediately whips them off and he'd have them thrown away right away only that he can't just chuck them anywhere yeah he flies out over the sea to avoid endangering life on land but there's life out here too and we see some happy little dolphins <laughs> splashing about in the water and some days you just can't get rid of a bomb and then he turns around and just hucks them at grimer instead they are a nice pair of trainers they're a little much for me they're nice <laughs> Um, well done to Rob Corona there. And I like that he's kind of fashioned the missile after the design of the trainers as well. Yeah, they're all, it's all green and purple yeah, and it's red. The same sort of color Sinister colours. Yeah. Like, like we've just been talking about the colour theory there exactly, in, in, yeah. uh, in the Sonic strip. And then it was inevitable that at some point there was going to be some shoe shenanigans. Thank oh, f- Corona found the solution we have been looking for this whole time we've been doing Sonic the Comic and trying to avoid thinking about what it looks like when these characters' shoes come off. Socks. The simple they just answer. Have socks. socks. Of course. Thank you, Rob. Of course, we we did comparatively recently discover, didn't we, yeah. that Sonic doesn't. As much as the artwork and the character design would make you think that Sonic wears socks, uh-huh. and that's what those little white curls are, those are supposed to just be the tops of the boots. Yeah. Folded down. It, that was that was confirmed comparatively recently. It's boots, I believe, was the quote. Which was, of course, an atrocity before God. Shoes. Socks. Sonic running around in shoes with no socks on. Sonic is a hero. Sonic is a (laughs) hero. Only the worst people on this earth go about in shoes with no socks on. How dare you impugn Sonic's name by applying he doesn't wear socks. We don't know he doesn't wear socks. Just because his boots have a fuzzy bit on the top doesn't mean he hasn't got socks as well. He could have socks. Yeah, but that would mean he was wearing one of those really little... little I he could be wearing one of those really Mm. low-riding socks, you know, for just such a situation. Where you could just see a bit of toe cleft. (laughs) (laughs) I do like Tails' reaction to getting the sneakers. Because his first thought is he can't wait to show Sonic. Yeah. Because Tails... Tails is starting to occupy a kind of a weird place in STC now, Uh where it made sense to have those early adventures of his off in another dimension type stuff, as weird as that concept was. It made sense that he was separated from Sonic Mm. in them. But in this run of stories of late, the way Stringer has consistently depicted him as apart from the Freedom Fighters in both his own strips, Mm. where he's off having his own adventures, and in the Sonic's world and Sonic strips, Mm -hmm. where he just doesn't hang out with them for some reason. <laughs> He's just become this character off on his own, and I don't like that. Neither do I. Now, I don't know if maybe Tails will hook up back with the Freedom Fighters in future stories, given the status quo change yeah. that's going to happen soon. I guess there's an element... I don't like it either, and I don't think this is why they've done it, but brothers grow apart. Maybe he's getting older, he's getting his own friends. I guess it is difficult to treat Tails with respect Mm -hmm. and preserve the nature of his relationship with Sonic if he's being a competent adventurer and if it's his own strip, therefore saving the day with Sonic at his side all the time. It's a weird... Basically, let's be completely honest, Tails doesn't really deserve to have his own strip. 
Tails should should be working with Sonic. Done properly, yeah. Yes, done properly. The very nature of Tails as a character is to act as an adjunct to Sonic. Yeah. Uh, at this time in space. Yeah. Today, when he's an inventor with his yeah. own kind of thing going on, there's more to work with. But when his whole thing was he was Sonic's slightly dopey but good-hearted mm-hmm. little sidekick, that character doesn't deserve to have on an ongoing basis. As a standalone series of stories <laughs> that explore the weirdness of him being on his own. Yeah. And then there's the difference between the, the weird alternate dimension stuff and the stuff that puts respect on his name separately. You know, but on an ongoing basis, no, not really. Yeah. And I'm starting to wonder. I really enjoyed Stringer's first multi-part one where he gave Tails some respect for the first time, which was just something that hadn't happened in Tails' yeah. own strips. That was good. But, you know, with each passing strip since then, I'm starting to wonder, and it's becoming more apparent to me how there's not a lot to work with here as a concept. Perhaps that's why we've ended up with generic little nothingy, perfectly acceptable stories like this. I do like these cool dudes. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Plenty of very cool dudes in this trip. I love what Corona's done here, you know. Uh, Corona has really found his voice artistically, I yeah. think, with STC. Oh, Compared to some of the earliest yeah. stuff, and then these guys with their backwards baseball caps and their sunglasses and their sleeveless vests. Yeah. I love this. The, I love these two girls where where uh, who are one is one is that really leaning over <laughs> full ninety degree angle at the waist to support herself on her friend. Yeah. She's so overcome with Tails's hotness in his <laughs> new shoes, like you know, this hunk in his new shoes. Yeah, Corona's artwork. I I, I just love it now, and that was part of what I was saying. Before, when I said there's nothing incompetent to comment on, that it feels like we've settled into an era of STC where the artwork is always going to be fine. Now everybody knows what's what at this point. Yeah, like I'll be, I'll be totally honest. I still don't really love the way he draws tails. Uh-huh. His Grimer looks tremendous, oh, yeah. and I really love all these little background guys. Do you know what looks good? His little Grimer. <laughs> In the last two pages, we get two examples of a little Grimer. <laughs> one on the targeting reticule of his little thing showing him what his missile's headed for. And one of him just stamping and waving his fist in the distance after he's been defeated. They're both absolutely tremendous. And they've got just two little dot eyes on a little tiny head. Oh, it's great. And Grimer has to, like, blow up the missile so it can't hit him. So he's just raging in the yeah. distance. That's a freaking rabbit fox. I'd rather dress for comfort. Fashion to die for just isn't worth it. Mm, hey, that's that's an old that's a stringer, you know. Go out on a good. I mean, it's not a good joke, <laughs> but it is a good bad joke. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't make me laugh. Laugh. It makes me laugh at how crap it is, <laughs> but in in a purposeful kids comic sort of way. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not crap, crap, but it's not funny, funny. But it is funny crap. (laughs) (laughs) Same. (laughs) Next issue, Trooper Trouble. And with a title like that, once again, give this. I know it's like this one was called Sneaker Seeker, and the next one's called Trooper Trouble, and it's like it's just going to be larks, isn't it? Yeah. And I do wonder how long before I don't. I feel bad wondering it, but I'm now like, right, how long till Tails gets a break and something else gets to happen? Q-Zone! Pow! It's Sonic 1! Yeah, remember that? So, yeah, I mean, I was just chatting about it, and about the level select, and about how I used it all the time, constantly, and never played the game properly. Yeah, no, I knew that level select code before I even owned the game, because you remember the story? I used to go to a tutor to get ready for my 11 plus exams, and when we were allowed breaks, this was on Saturday morning, we would have breaks, and 
the... His kids had a Mega Drive and Sonic. That's where I first played Sonic. And oh. they knew the level select. And that's where I discovered the <laughs> level select. So I was cheating my way through Sonic mm. from the moment it came into my life. Yep, same, same. Frankly, the level select was one of the things that gave Sonic such a mystique, that original game. It's like, wow, look what you can do! Yeah, up, down, left, right, Budling A start. Although we used to say it was A B C and start. I really? don't know when I realized it was only A started. That was that was the playground word was you held down A B and C and pressed start. Do you ever have that thing where somebody reads a phone number out with the wrong rhythm compared to how you oh want God. a phone number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that for this cheat. To me, it, it's A and start together. And those are almost the words of the chant. Because it goes up, down, left, left right, right, A, and start, start together. together. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, it's, like, uh, it's like debug mode right down here. Up C, down C, left C, mm-hmm. right C. <laughs> you got to say it in the yeah. rhythm. Um, and that, but that, there's nothing to tell you. That, it just tells you the, the codes for Sonic. Well, and in fact, look, it even says codes. Each ring worth over 25,000 rings. S-C-R-A. But it doesn't tell you what this is. Yeah. This isn't something Game Genie, put... but it yeah. doesn't tell you. It doesn't say yeah. Game Genie. We only know that because... I assume it's Game Genie, because that's the sort of thing Game Genie things look like. Because we are educated man. Yeah, then it tells you how to defeat Who read Sonic the comic. Yeah, and then it switches to the Master System version, telling you where to find the Chaos Emeralds. Because on the Master System version, you didn't go into special zones and mm. collect a Chaos Emerald if you succeeded at that. They, they were, were hidden. hidden around the level. Here, they just... They act as if they're telling you where they are, because it says Master System, to locate the Chaos Emeralds, dot, dot, dot. But then they only tell you three. Well, it's continued next issue, so well, I is. presume we'll pick up next issue. Yes, say next it issue, is. Sonic 1 Q&A. That's a different thing. Well, yes. Okay, maybe it's not then. Good point. Do you know what I mean? Could be. I think it probably is continued next issue, but I, I contend that it doesn't say that. Uh, you're quite right. You are 100% correct. It does not say it is continued next issue. It says there is a Sonic 1 Q&A next issue. I just assumed, because it would be so bloody stupid to yes. only tell you three, that I assumed it must be continued next issue. And it must be. And my concern was more about the abominable formatting of a feature that would stop halfway through one game <laughs> instead of putting all of one game yeah. in one queue zone and then moving on to the next one. Yeah. Shrink the font a little bit. I know, I know, I know you think small children are reading, but just shrink the font. This bit's for the older ones anyway. Yeah, it's Sonic 1. Well, is it for the older ones or is it for the younger ones who weren't here whenever uh, they talked about okay. Sonic 1 originally? That's mm, a question, you okay, see. Okay. I mean, they, what, what is it they say? STC's post bags are spilling over with requests for cheats on classic Sonic games. Yeah. Apologies to those of you who are already in the know, but for those boomers who require help, the waiting is over thanks to David Gibbon and Chris Jones. It's a team-up effort. <laughs> I don't see why. No, I don't know either. It took two blokes to to find the the, the times they printed all this before. <laughs> yeah, and just say it again. Exactly. They've, have they, I'm sure they've told us where the Chaos Emeralds were before. Because it's. I feel like I have heard that before. Yeah. I've, or may, oh, maybe not. Maybe they, maybe it was also done with in the past that they didn't bother. Or maybe I'm thinking of the Sonic Chaos walkthrough or whatever. Oh, could be. Yeah, yeah, you could be right. I do. They say the following codes and cheats are guaranteed to be accurate. There's often a knack involved in getting them to work. No, that's a future game. Knack's not involved until Triple Trouble. Come I think on, it is. Man. Come on, man. I'm <laughs> just trying to read out the cues. Sorry, oh, Chris. Have the emotional fortitude for this. <laughs> I'm just trying to say that they're right and that sometimes you did press up, down, left, right and it didn't have work for some reason and you got to come at me with this shit. Am I... Oh. Sorry. What, what else can I'm you sorry. possibly throw at me? I have a bad case of diarrhea. I have a bad case of diarrhea. I have a bad case of diarrhea. Hey! 
Diary Zone! There's a lot of features in this episode, so I don't want to spend long saying any of this. Let's go fast. It's Tuesday, the 6th of- Would you say that we- Gotta go fast. I wouldn't. Tuesday, the 6th See, of August. See, if you can do knack jokes, I can do gotta go fast <laughs> jokes. 1996. Mustache bought loads of stationery in Leicester. <laughs> so you would, you, would, you would say that you had to go fast. <laughs> I got a see-through pen. I got a Tipex pen. I got four 20p good quality pencils. <laughs> the Tipex pen. Yeah. Was. Oh. An item of some, like, prestige. Oh, that's how you know you're going to big school. Yeah. Jeez, oh, that was a completely legitimate... <laughs> yeah, I just thought over the thought of a Tipex pen. But yes... Having Tipex at all. Once you'd had a Tipex pen, and it ran out, and then you had to resort oh. to going back to using the brush? Oh. Come off it. No. Pens were where it was at. Sorry, folks. That's correction fluid. Oh, liquid yeah. paper is what Americans would know it as. Whiteout. Whiteout. That's yeah. another one. Yes, yes. Yeah. Tipex is our brand of choice here in the UK. I've got something to say about that, but I'm just going to finish the list. Great rubbers. Color... That means erasers. Colouring pencils, etc. Stop. Don't. Americans, don't listen to our podcast. Colouring <laughs> pencils. Colouring pencils, etc. For big school, which I... I'm looking forward to. I've edited out the name of the big school there. I'm just always going to say big school. But yeah, uh, it turns out I'm quite excited for big school. Uh, I've gone around and got my station. But I'll tell you what I remember having on the first days of big school, which I haven't mentioned here, which is going to sound quite childish, but I was very excited about it. It was a mouse. It was a sort of a flat plastic mouse. And what you did was you put this mouse on your work and you pulled the mouse across the work. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you have one of these? As a way of uh, erasing, tipexing. It, yes, it left yes. a strip of tipex. A strip of tipex. Out yes, of I its those. nose. Mm-hmm. So exciting. Better than a tipex pen. Oh, yeah. Because you get a nice, neat... Yeah. Tipex pens were actually, like, rubbish. Oh, yeah. Actually. Yeah. Because you had to... Like, the idea was that you would precisely write over each of your letters. Mm. And the brush was technically better because mm. you get a nice broad stroke and cover everything all at once. It was just the, the mechanics. It was like... Like, not so long ago, like, when you were talking about the Yoo-Hoo glue pen mm. and how you just enjoyed pushing the sponge mm. on the end of it and watching the yeah. glue go... Yeah. Through it. It was the same ballpoint technology involved in a Tipex pen. That jobby that mm. laid the strip out, that was where it was at. I remember so clearly the day, very early on, that uh, terrible asshole Ryan got hold of my Tipex mouse and he just pulled all the tape out. What? And handed it back unspooled. And that was the end of that. I didn't even think you could do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you'd have to be an awful asshole. But it wasn't. I did Oh, scumbag. You can pull it out like a cassette tape. Thank God I never let him make any of my tapes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I tell you what, there's a world of difference between Tipex with a brush and a pot. Tipex. Uh-huh. Day one, an old Tipex. Oh, God. Old yeah. Tipex. Even if, it's, even if it's a week or so old. Yeah, first of all, you have to get the lid off. Second of all, Ugh. you have to yank, you have to tease the brush through the thick. Oh, yeah, the morass that's built mm. up around the, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the edge of the thing. Yeah. And then you put it on the page, and it's got bubbles and grot and nobbles in oh, it. Little yeah, nuggets of, yeah. stuck to it. Yeah, and you yeah. think, do you know what? Tipex isn't that good. I always thought it was all right. Then you get yourself a new pot of Tipex, and you're like, Whoa, look at that lovely fresh light. I'm going to write over that. 
<laughs> you don't hear about Tipex anymore, do you? When was the last time you heard people talking about Tipex? Remember we do Tipex. everything digitally now. There's a button that makes the words disappear. <laughs> we buy our asterisks digitally now. <laughs> <laughs> Thursday the 8th. Soon I'll be at big school. Apparently I'm really excited about this. Went round to Andy's in the morning, even though he'd just come round mine the previous afternoon. I'd never dream of that now. Oh god, no. The social onslaught of that. Someone coming round your house one afternoon and you go round theirs the next morning? I'd expect them to kick my ass out onto the street. No, once I already did something this week, thanks. Yes. We're going on holiday to a pottery. Not a pottery, you up pottery. A pottery is a place. A pottery. I, got I looked you. this up. It really is called a pottery. Originally up pottery because apparently it's where the river Otter's spring is, its origin point, its highest position. Up pottery. Ah. And yes, there is a river called Otter. Well, you couldn't claim that they uh, didn't name things what they were back in them days. Well, well, yes, but there's a river called Otter. And it's not an otter, it's a river. I assume it had otters in it. Which raises questions about nearby Bumbrook. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday the 10th. That's some content. (laughs) Saturday the 10th. Holidays again. It took us approximately five hours, 20 minutes and 26.59 seconds to get here. Sunday passes without comment. Apparently we ride on a classic electric tram in a place called Seaton where I buy a pencil. You can see why I would get excited about a particularly good news agent, can't you? (laughs) Monday, though, is more interesting for our purposes, but sadly lacking in information or indeed recorded audio, because today was the day, Monday the 12th of August 1996, the day we went to Crinkly Bottom, the Knowles House Party theme park, colloquially but incorrectly known as Blobbyland. Blobbyland. And it goes unremarked upon. Oh, wow. We just went. And to be honest, that, that sinks with my memory of it. I Un- haven't really un- formed any. An unremarkable experience. And then the holiday ends. Saturday the 17th. Well, I'm back and I'm flapping free, but only for two more days. Saturday the 17th of August. Mm. Two days and you're back to school. That's right. In middle August. I told you, in Leicestershire we had different summer holidays for some reason. Don't know why. It's not on. It's <laughs> August. That's still the summer. Sunday the 18th. Tomorrow is the last day of the holidays. And then gulp. Big school. Oh, we're down to the gulps now, are we? Oh, I'm starting to get worried now. Well, this is it. This is why we're... STC right now is seeing us into big life, you know? Not adult life, but big, big school where the campus... It's... it's, it's, Well, I didn't call it a campus, but where the school is so big that it feels like you'll never learn the layout of it when you first get there. Mind you, I say it'll be cool. Just annoying actually going. <laughs> yeah, truth there. Uh, not to mention, bewildering at dinner. Don't know what I mean by that. You lay out, you wouldn't know where you have to go to get yeah, your dinner. Yeah, yeah. Oh, do you remember that feeling of like, okay, I know what's next on my timetable, but where is it? How am I supposed to know oh where Matt is? Dave, I still have that nightmare. Yeah. That's been a long time, you know, but I don't have like the... Everybody has back-to-school nightmares because school is a prison for children that we are all traumatized by. But I don't have the one where, like, I haven't studied for Mm. the exam or Mm. that I'm all naked or whatever. My recurring school nightmare is I have no idea what my next class is. I've missed the start of it and I have no idea where I'm supposed to go. Oh, that anxiety, yeah. Oof. Um, started my rubber chicken tune. <laughs> the eye roll I just got of him. The sublime. It was a good tune. The ridiculous. Just for that, I'm going to sing you a verse of the rubber chicken tune. <laughs> it went like this. Come on then. My uncle lives in Sweden. He owns a rubber chicken. 
He throws it at the coconuts which balance on the dog. The dog is made of plastic. The plastic comes from me. Cause I am hyperactive and I'm growing on a tree. Put you on a window one of these days. <laughs> Rubber chicken, 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 rubber chicken. My brother comes from my house, he owns a rubber chicken. He plays a lot of tennis and it detonates his nose. The chicken eats its supper, the supper eats the floor. Now I've got my camel, I can decorate the door. Rubber chicken, 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 rubber chicken. You think you have talent? I swear, I'm just. All right, Simon Cowell. I'm just gonna snap. My boss seems to have left me. He owned a rubber chicken. He tied it to the post that circles round the office cat. He pulled a private muscle. He pulled a silly face. Then grabbed his rubber chicken and propelled it into space. Rubber chicken, 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 rubber chicken. My name is Albatross Bay. <laughs> just say it's just fucking words, and you just say any old thing and call it music, can't you? You just put it together and it's a song, yeah? Monday the 19th. Whatever happened to music, eh? <laughs> Monday the 19th. People this his is age it. started making it. The final day. The day. <laughs> Uh, the rubber chicken song is of course available on my patreon at patreon.com forward slash demon tomato dave the final day the day of dread judgment day in approximately one hour 20 minutes the first day at big school will have begun so i made the most of today oh, by the way yesterday we went to the infinitely cool independence day hey we were talking about that on the summer special episode and that is why if you remember the summer special episode i decided to defer independence day chat to here so here it is excised from the summer special episode and dropped in now Independence Day! Oh, there you I are. I had to go to another town to see Independence Same. Day because the rating was lower down across the border. Ah Independence Day was the film of summer 1996. Like. Yeah, because there's always one, isn't there? It was like, for most people, Jurassic Park in 93, for me, Super Mario Brothers and Jurassic Park and Aladdin, maybe. And then I remember it being... My and these are both stupid, but Summer '94 I was all about the Flintstones movie. Summer '95 I was all about Casper. Oh dear! Actually, I was pretty about Casper in '95, <laughs> and it's worse than the Flintstones movie. Yeah, th the thing about Casper is I went to see it, and there was a bunch of other people from school going to the cinema at the same time. Yeah, and they were all going to see something else. I don't remember what, but I was going to see Casper and was viciously abused for it. <laughs> the comic book adaptation of Independence Day. <laughs> I don't remember that. I got that after because because it, it was the film in '96. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. big stupid movie uh, at the height of whenever you know our cultural fascination. We were talking about it just a couple of episodes yes. ago. A cultural fascination with aliens yeah. and Roswell and and Area 51. Yeah. 
off the back of the X-Files was coming in. I didn't have the Independence Day comic, but I did have the radio broadcast Independence Day UK on tape. Did you ever hear that? No, what's that? Oh, it was well good. <laughs> like, in a the good kind of bad way. 97 to 99 FM, Radio 1, Newsbeat. We'd actually got a feed from the Greater London Radio Traffic Helicopter, which is now airborne from its base in northwest London. Our reporter Rod Plummer is aboard. Hello, Rod. Nicky Campbell and Patrick Moore tell us an unidentified flying object is moving towards London, Rod. Ah, uh, hello, Charles. Ah, uh, hello, Rod. Now, this uh, UFO, have you seen anything unusual approaching London? Well, frankly, John, I uh, can't see anything. Uh, it's a reasonably clear sky. Uh, there's a bank of rain cloud drifting in from the west, so the roads will be slippery later. OK, so so no sign at oh, all. Hang on, John. Oh, my God. Hello, Rod. He- hello, Rod Plummer in the GLR helicopter. Hello? They did a what's-name War of the Worlds on it. Ah. So they did Radio 1 Newsbeat of Independence Day happening. Oh, that's cool. And it was... Wicked. They had Patrick Moore as their like expert in the studio. He was there going like, "Well, uh, Nikki, Nikki Campbell, the actual guy who was presented with that. Well, Nikki, I'm detecting very strange perturbances from the surface of Mars or whatever the fuck it is. Some information from Jodrell Bank. They seem to be losing contact with ground stations through Europe and indeed the United States. They reported objects similar to the one over London, hovering over Los Angeles, Chicago, Dallas, New York, and Washington, and. Paris has just gone offline. So what's happening exactly, Patrick? Perhaps the UFOs create an ionospheric disturbance which jams their transmissions to us here in the air. The alternative would be some kind of cataclysmic event. A destructive event. Uh, right. I-, I believe John Franklin in London has managed to get a microphone up onto the roof of uh, the Radio 1 building at, uh, just near Oxford Circus. John, can you hear us? Uh, yes, Nicky. Actually, we're on the roof of BBC Broadcasting House next door. It's uh, it's pandemonium here in West London. The sky is pitch black. It's it's like someone put a vast black ceiling over the city. Um, this UFO stretches from horizon to horizon. Uh, the streets are packed with vehicles attempting to find a clear route out to, to get out from under this thing. They had, like, a reporter on the top of the building reporting the weird weather. They had, like, yeah, here's this odd sound that's coming through. And they would just play songs as well. And it was just, like, a bit of radio for a while. No. It was oh, well good. Wicked. <laughs> that is good. And then you had the bit which I found, <laughs> I bet if I heard it now it'd be just kind of stupid, but I found it genuinely quite affecting is the bit where they do start destroying the monument. So of course they're doing Big Ben and House of Parliament and all that. And they had the sound cut out and stuff. Like it was actually quite well sound designed by the drama team, even though it was presented as a radio broadcast. And you have this guy like fighting his way off the roof and like running down the stairwell. Uh, well, um, well, I wish I could describe better for you the eerie quality of the darkness this huge thing has cast over London, and uh, it, uh, it, it's actually getting lighter again, but the uh, the object isn't moving. It, it, there seems to be a growing line of bright light emanating from underneath it. It's like vast doors opening. It's uh, like a battery of searchlights. It's very directional, very, very strong. It's, it's, it's like a wall of light which seems to be shining south of the river it's it's moving it's, it's moving northward it's very bright it's hard to see beyond it as it moves towards us but oh my god it's 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 like a wall of destruction it's raising everything in its path to the ground uh, if you can still hear me uh, i'm trying to get to the fire escape hopefully the radio mic will still work the, the light is passing over the river it's huge clouds of steam the water is literally boiling there, there goes big ben it's truly horrible it's moving up Regent Street towards Portland Place. 
everything below Osman Circus. It's a, a desert, it's a flaming desert. I'm gonna try to get into Broadcasting House basement. Get out of the bloody way! The wall of light is on And then, there's ages of silence. And then it cuts back in. With full orchestral score, and now it's a drama starring Patrick Moore, who punches an alien! This thing is still alive. But keep away! Away from the alien, it's not safe! Patrick knows what he's doing. Patrick, get back! It's on its feet again! Patrick, get away from that thing! Either I'm concussed or I'm watching Patrick Moore fist fighting with an extraterrestrial. He is. Oh, that's something you don't see every day. <laughs> oh, that might have gone a bit far. Wicked! You gotta get it on. It's on YouTube, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> that properly speaks to like it was the film of the summer in '96. Yeah. I remember we had to go across the. I don't remember. I think it was a twelve. No, wait, that can't be because I was a. I was must have been because my brothers couldn't go. They were too uh, young yeah. to see it. So they needed it to be PG. But it was like a PG in down in the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. So yeah, we went there. And I remember it was a bad cinema where it actually tilted back slightly. <laughs> what? What tilted? The screen or the, the the cinema? I mean, you know, you know how a cinema screen here and then the seats of sand. Oh, so the the back seats were lower than the front seats. That's my memory, but but you know. Well, maybe it just didn't have the incline, but that creates the effect of it being. Could well be. I have no memory of where it was we actually went. I just remember we had to go to another town. Not me. I know exactly where we went. We went to the brand new Ooh. Warner Brothers Cinema. What were they called, the Warner Brothers Cinemas? Oh, I don't know. We didn't have them. Maybe it's just Warner Brothers Cinema. But whatever it was, they just opened. It was like the first modern multiplex cinema that we'd had in the area. And it was the first time I'd been to a big cinema and they had these statues of like looney tunes characters oh. around the ceiling and it was all spacey and futuristic and it had uh, like a big you know like normal now but like the big wide open foyer that you go in whereas the one i was used to it was just it was just a room you go yeah. through to get to the little screens at the back of the building that it was the biggest screen i had ever seen and I, I wouldn't be surprised now if i found out that it was like you know, IMAX width. Oh, Not IMAX I, height. Well, I was going to say, because I wouldn't be surprised if you find out now that it was about six foot by four. That also <laughs> true, but I honestly, from my memory, it was like, whoa, it was when you go in the big screen in the cinema. It was huge. I might, I might have had my first popcorn there, but not that day, because you had the big pick and mix, you had a bag of that, you're eating there, you're having your jelly things. Yeah, you always oh. favoured the pick and mix when that uh, popcorn, I don't, I guess I hadn't been exposed to enough American film and television to tell me popcorn was what you had at the cinema yet before I would have started eating popcorn at the cinema. And I can't go without now, I've got to have popcorn. Oh god, yeah, you've got to have popcorn. Yeah. yeah got to and it, and that causes problems because you, like, you have to factor it in like well when have i had my lunch or when am i having my lunch you know like, how can i balance this and I, for some reason it doesn't seem to matter i can just have oh yeah popcorn is nothing popcorn is yeah. nothing but calories in a bucket <laughs> calorie filled air that you yeah. just eat it and it's nothing yeah it makes your life worse but not that day <laughs> it makes your life better <laughs> that day it's long term you want to watch out for <laughs> When this is all over and we've defeated these monsters, the Yanks will take the credit for it. You wait and see. Um, yes, sir. And so, the end of this episode's Diary Zone, the start of a new chapter. Thursday, the 20th of August, 1996. The first day. Well, it's odd. Although I didn't feel young, the same 
first day at previous school feeling was there. So I've gone to big school, I'm settling in, I'm not really enjoying it yet. It's, it's the end of an era. We're on the way out from being kids, Chris. This is not comfortable. The comic is not going to be for us soon. No, when we have had that tail strip mm. and we're about to turn the page to another one, you're not wrong. Oh, thanks, mate. We were nearly toast. No problem. I'm Nicky Campbell. Sonic's World. New Image, written by Lou Stringer, art by Carl Flint, colours by Steve White, and letters by Tom Frame. Sonic is accosted by a pair of image consultants named Snooty and Sneaky, who believe he needs a new look. Sonic objects until the pair reveal that they're robotic loyalists who have captured Amy forcing Sonic to submit to their demand that he wear a dorky anorak that will ruin his image as the coolest dude around. Of course, it turns out Amy can handle herself just fine and she escapes on her own in no time, allowing Sonic to shed the uncool duds and send Sneaky and Snooty packing. Harmless oil rot. It, yeah, it, it's going to be tremendously difficult for us to come up with a single thing to say. Mm -hmm. um, they make a fast show reference. Yes, they do, don't they? Yes, they yeah. do a suits you. Ooh. Suit you, suit you, suit you, suit you. We've already covered the cultural position that anoraks held, right? Yes. They were synonymous with train spotters and therefore spotty, saddy, no mate dweeboids. Well, that's it, yes. They were synonymous with dorks, mm. dweebs, as a consequence of their being the preferred wear of the train spotter for going out and braving the elements to watch trains drive past. But there is another side to anoraks because so that's the famous image of them we've already talked about how chris jarvis used to be the anorak on cbbc at this time yeah, oh, i know all of that but the thing is from where i was standing anoraks were what like the prodigy war when they danced to out of space and stuff. <laughs> it was a, it was like a rave culture thing so like they were pretty cool actually and and, it, and it's odd i guess it's just interesting that these two things were intersecting at the same time well i suppose I suppose it could be that Lou Stringer and Chris Jarvis off of CBBC may just not have had their finger on the bleeding edge of kids' lives to the same extent that the kids themselves did. This is true. But somewhere along the way, there was a, a point where the word anorak yes. became divorced yes. from the piece of clothing, yeah. the anorak. So you could wear an anorak and it would just be a piece of clothing. Like you're saying, it wouldn't inherently be sad. But to be, to be an anorak... An anorak is still to to be honest it's even no it's probably more used just to refer to as to a know-it-all definitely rather than to a dork to a dweeb to a nomad to a saddle no you're right there and you could be a bit of an anorak about something couldn't mm, you yeah yeah that's true yeah. and then in real i mean in real life i was complete i don't know about you i was completely neutral about what sort of coat i happened to be wearing yes i couldn't even tell you whether or not what i had was an anorak no you probably <laughs> pr i bet i had an anorak Probably did, yeah. It wasn't like with trainers where, like, he, like you were aware of peer pressure to have good ones, whether or not you knew which ones those were. <laughs> Maybe you were, mate. I had no clue. Didn't give a sh. No, I didn't. I didn't know. There were. Uh, there was trainer culture. You know, people oh, sure. did know what the good ones were. I did not, and I don't remember getting any stick for what shoes I had on. No, same. Yeah. With coats, there was nothing. No one ever got made fun of for wearing no. anything judged an anorak, but it keeps coming up. What people get made fun of was what kind of car their dad drove. Oh, no, really? Because, and only if it was 
a Skoda. Skoda. Yeah. Yeah. That was the dork car. I don't know why. I have not a clue to this day. That was the loser car. Yeah, so I'm good to see that was universal. That wasn't just some dairy thing. No, that was here as well. So Anorak's bad, and if you wear one, you cannot also be cool. And that is what this strip is about. Yeah. I mean, also, Sonic can't wear an anorak. It doesn't yeah, fit he just over physically his spikes. Can't. He looks a state. He really does actually look dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the people who spot him say, Sonic in an anorak? Maybe he's taking up train spotting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, easy to get it. I like the uh, the image consultant, Sneaky and Snooty. One is a flamingo and one is a warthog. Mm. So they have the old tall and long and short yeah. and round thing going on. You know, classic cartooning. Yeah. Uh, more esoteric Mobians in the backgrounds as well. Mm. There's a load of meerkats going to business in their little business suits. Business meerkats in their suit and ties <laughs> and, with their umbrellas and their little briefcases. And not just a lot of business meerkats as in dotted around the place. No, like the entire one side of the road is made up just of them mm. in, one, in the first panel. There's other animals on the other side, but it's all just them. So I guess they've all come out together. Not sure what that animal behind the elephant is. Uh, no, it's some sort of little shrew or something, isn't it? Yeah. Then there's a gazelle and a seal at one point. And all with umbrella, like, all done as sort of like Mary Poppins era British businessmen. Yes. I don't know why everyone... In fact, look at the city. It, it almost looks like Photostat London architecture, doesn't it? Oh, I believe it's Photostat, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, because we know how Carl Flint yeah. worked. Yeah, he was a multimedia man. I think uh, Steve White's colouring is working well with Carl's lines yeah. this issue. There have been some issues in the past where, where White's colouring has had kind of a pastel tone that's made things feel a little washed out. Mm. And his Sonic, some of the shades he uses for Sonic sometimes aren't perfect, but, but there's um, a good zip of colour in this one. Yeah. It is a, a bit of an odd-looking strip, this one is. Yeah, it is a bit. I think it's because of the forcing the anorak to go around the shape of Sonic, which it doesn't. And that is the joke, but it also doesn't. Yeah. And it's nice that uh, Lou Stringer still manages to turn it into a big victory for Amy strip, even though it's not mm, even an yeah. Amy strip. Yeah. Like, we find out Amy's been captured, and I'm like, what the hell is this? Issue 25? Where has this plot come from? Yeah. And uh, and then on page four, she's like, yeah, there are no scouts when it came to knots. I escaped. And it's like, didn't even need to see it, mate. It's like, of course she did. It's Amy. <laughs> then she crossbows a bad Nick right out of the sky while Sonic is having trouble fighting them in the anorak. And then uh, Sonic ties up Sneaky and Snooty in the shreds of the anorak. And, I mean, it, it only turns out on the last panel of the second-to-last page that they have any connection to Robotnik at all, but they're just trying to ruin Sonic's image. And he sends them back to Robotnik. I've got nothing to say about this! Like, this is just... It is exactly what it purports to be. It is a short strip about nothing. Yeah. Interesting final image uh, of Sonic winking so close to the camera and at such a low position that he's basically a, a single eye in a column of curving forehead. <laughs> yeah. Not a bad ending for the Sun Amy fans. No. no. Amy says, I'm flattered you allowed those goons to make you look like a nerd on my account. And Sonic says, hey, don't make a big issue of it. Maybe I was just making a fashion statement. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I feel nothing for you, woman. Well, don't look at me like that. <laughs> and what fashion statement was that? Oh, you can't improve on perfection. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> then whenever you couple that to Sonic winking to the audience, it's almost like, no, I really did care for Amy and did it to make sure. And it's like, yeah, if you were a Sonic Amy fan, you could definitely get the meaning you wanted out of the end of that strip. Yeah. Next issue, Scream Theme Park. I'm detecting a Scream theme here where it does sound like 
old Tosh is going to be in the back end of the comic for a bit. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Now, fortunately, Kitching and Elson at the start, and yeah. followed by Kitching and Dobbin afterwards in Village of the Damned. But uh, we'll see, I guess, because, yeah, a bit of old Tosh thus far. Yeah. Well, if it's really going to be canonised as something that always happens, then we can have a whole segment called the Bit of Old Tosh Zone or something. Bit of Old Tosh Zone! (laughs) Bathgate no more! Dear STC, whose delivery service is STC using? My guess is it's a company called Slow Mo, as I have recently (laughs) had to wait until Wednesdays or Thursdays for STC to appear in my area. Today I even had to try four local shops and still had no success. Please ask Sonic to help speed up the delivery service. That's from Alan Stewart in Bathgate, West Lothian in Scotland, who has clearly just not been paying attention. Not been paying attention. Doesn't read the control zone. Megadroid has to tell him that STC's on sale to change to Wednesdays. Yeah, Not reading the next issue box not reading the date in there or anything he's like one of those execrable idiots who get to the end of the podcast but don't listen once the end theme tune starts fading in they switch off so they don't get the joke at the end yeah fools when it's there it's when it's there. there there is no always you know, there. You know, that's that's how you that's why you, why you have to listen to the end of every episode gotta keep on your toes yeah. More Megadroid. Dear Megadroid, I think you are cool and should have your own regular comic strip. Even my family agrees that it's unfair you should have to answer letters all the time, says Emma Sprague of Rochdale, Lancashire. Megadrive owner, Sega Mega Hogtag winner. And, oh, look at them, look at the Hogtags. Well oh, done, Emma Sprague. Blah. Emma, in fact, everyone who got a letter printed and is listening to this, photograph of yourself with your Hogtags, please, if you've got them. Oh, yeah. Hashtag it. Hog tag it. Hog tag it. Hashtag hog tag. <laughs> I don't mind replying to intelligent and tasteful boomers like yourself, Emma, says Megadroid. By the way, did you catch my comic strip in the last issue of STC? High Flyer. This letter comes in from Gregor Hunter in Glasgow, Scotland. Via the medium of email. Whoa. When I was on holiday with my parents, very unhip, we saw a 60-foot-high Sonic on the motorway. I won't say it was cool, as it was a hot air balloon. Oh, Gregor. Apart from the Sonic Summer Special, which was Brill, that was the best part of my holiday. Also, when is the Sega bus coming to Glasgow, as we have lots of Sonic freaks up this way? Sonic is my favourite, but my dad likes Robotnik, because he's bad enough to be a parent. Ooh. Oh, kids, rule okay. <laughs> I like the cut of this Gregor's jib. I yeah. reckon we'll be mates. Unfortunately, Gregor, Megadroid says, the Sega bus is keeping a low profile this summer, which I guess means it's not out at all. <laughs> that's what he's saying. You know, because we, we yeah. remember we were talking about it earlier this week. We would have to look out to see if there was any announcement about yeah. it, but there hasn't been. So I guess it's not out at all this summer. See if your dad can take you on the low road to London, as Sega World will be open from the August bank holiday. We got a couple of bits of fan art. Max Riley from High Wycombe in Buckinghamshire sends in one of a googly-eyed Robotnik standing atop the world, looking very pleased with himself. It's brilliant. It's just a it is it's just a drawing of Robotnik standing on the planet Earth with his fists in the air. But for reasons known only to Max Riley, it's the old one eye points up, one eye points down. Google eyes automatically makes any face funny, no matter what. Yep. He hopes to have the whole world. In his hands, says the caption STC. Sure he does. Of course he does. 
And then we've got one from friend of the show. Friend of the show, yes. It's a double friend of the show special. Yeah, Lynn Triplett, who is, you may remember, our friend who did the uh, incredibly involved Knuckles fan art, where there was mm. all there was all other Knuckleses around him and everything. Uh, this time, I remember these characters and just staring at them and going, wow, what is this? They're a sort of yin-yang pair. That's what it is. It's, a, it's, it's yeah, yeah. two Sonic characters. Well, it's not, is it? It's two well, Sonic, I mean, style, Sonic characters style characters yeah. designed after Yin Yang, the Yin and the mm-hmm. Yang, and they just look really cool. And I, I feel as if Lynn has explained what this is, and I can't remember. Yes, I remember her mentioning a yes. picture of some original character she sent into the issue. It's been labeled the futuristic look by STC. Quite right. Very shiny. I actually had a pair of original superhero characters that were basically this. Oh, yeah. They were yin-yang themed. The girl was the white one and the, the guy was the black one. My guys could combine together. Oh, of course. To make a, a big guy called the Tao. Yeah. So that was that was the deal with my, my guys. I also did this, but with Power Rangers. I had a yin and yang Power Ranger who could themselves physically combine into some big power ranger or something i can't remember i wonder if uh lynn's characters could combine it seems like a prerequisite does doesn't it i wonder what animals they are they seem to have tails having done a a quick little twitter search basically for lynn's name and yin yang uh yeah sure Mm. enough she's posted a picture of these characters they are of course called yin and yang oh all right that was what i called mine (laughs) and uh of course you gotta and that's all I can really give you. That's just those are characters that she came up with. Uh, it doesn't really look as if she's going to explain what they are. Well, we'll tag her in when we tweet the episode. Yeah. It's your letters. It's your letters. It's your letters. It's your letters. We've got a letter here from Morg who says, "Dear SDCTP, I've been listening to the show since almost the very beginning, and it's become far and away my favourite podcast. Hey. Hopefully, if you find time to read this letter, it will reach you in time for issue eighty-four, the first issue of STC I ever owned. I got it for being a very good boy at the doctor's after getting third-degree sunburn over my entire back. Ooh, no. What? Ooh, this is a summer hazard. Oh." which had bubbled up disgustingly oh, like that no. scene at the end of Gremlins 2. Oh, that's exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> oh, no! I'd, oh, God, imagine. I've had, we, we've all had a burn before that bubbles up, but not across our entire back. Uh, I've never had a burn as bad as that, no. I was coated in sun cream when I would go on holidays. Yeah. Have you ever had one that bubbled up anyway? No, I've never had anything as bad oh, as that. Oh, well no, And I burn pretty easily. I'm... Irish, mm. you've seen me. Hello, look at me. But um... well, I've never had it from sunburn, but I've had it from burns. I one time I touched the back of the tumble dryer, not realizing that that's essentially an iron. That's within the lifespan of STCTP. Yes. I remember it happening. Unpleasant. And another time, I uh, dropped a microwave pudding on my foot. Ooh. Fresh out the microwave. We're talking molten sugar. It fused. I had to shower it off. Oh my <gasps> god! I've, no, I've never been so unlucky. No. Mm. Yeah, don't be. Try careful. Now that you've said, <laughs> I'm gonna drop. Didn't do it tonight. <laughs> I'd seen the occasional drop a fresh hot pizza <laughs> right on my knob. <laughs> well, and then afterwards, I might have an accident. <laughs> <laughs> I had seen the occasional issue of the comic before, a Brotherhood of Metallics, Dr. Zachary, Summer Running Wild, but I'd had to read through them all while standing at the magazine aisle in the supermarket as my mum was going around the shop. Unfortunately, I didn't actually 
know how to read. So I had to piece together what was happening by the visuals alone and avoid the supermarket staff who didn't like that I, a small child, was attempting to read. <laughs> My copy of the issue is held together with tape now and missing the cover due to being read so many times. It's such a great issue to start on. A continuation of one of the best Sonic arcs ever. Chaotix, who are these guys? An amazingly moody Knuckles strip. Tails, having his own fun adventure. A Q-Zone for an actual Sonic game that I owned. And one of the Sonic's worlds of all time. <laughs> one of the Sonic's worlds of yes. all time. Yeah, that seems that's a pretty accurate description of the contents of this issue, yeah. Yeah, yep. Strong front half, fluffy old back half. <laughs> Same. I'm a freelance comic artist. Full-time these days, and I... Hey! Cool. Hey. Freelance comic artist full-time these days, and I absolutely wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for the influence of Sonic the Comic. Your podcast has really reignited my passion for it, and I can't thank you enough for that, especially with the times we live in. <laughs> Listening to you both lifting the artwork and storytelling up onto your shoulders inspired me to make my own STC strip called Metallics Prime. I'd hoped to have it finished before the end of the Brotherhood of Metallic Arc so I could uh, send it in, but uh, well, life keeps getting in the way. Uh, please accept instead this bespoke artwork just for STCTP that I've included Included in this email. It might not be the best piece of graphic zone artwork, but hopefully it's a strong contender for the most cursed. Thanks again, <laughs> Morg, Magical Morg on Twitter, West Dumbartonshire, Scotland, Mega Drive 2 owner. It's not nearly as cursed as Morg is making it. <laughs> oh dear me. <laughs> it is a picture of Dr. Robotnik done up to look like Octopussy from the Bond film. Uh, the old the octopus emblazoned bathrobe, shoes, and yes, orange bra. Yes, not having seen the film, I don't know if, if she's got an orange bra in the film, but uh, we imagine so. Dr. Robotnik certainly does. And lo lo lovely little flecks of ginger body hair all over him. Yes. <laughs> this is so much like what kids would send to the graphic zone. <laughs> and Morg has included a Megadroid caption as well mm. that says, Dr. Pussy? Question mark. And I just love... It's it's the obvious comment, but it's right in the right place. Oh, absolutely. Love it. Yes. Thanks for that, Morg. It's really well drawn as yes, well. Uh, uh, yes. Well done. And if you want to send something into our mailbag, be it picture, email, audio, whatever it is, you can send that to stctpodcast at gmail.com. All right, and that brings us to the end of another issue. Next issue... Oh, 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 I'm suddenly 75% more interested in what Scream Theme Park is going to be. Because, you, know, you know, we didn't say it because uh -huh. it's we've reached a point where it's not really worth saying almost at this point. Cause it's, but Sonic's World, just another Sonic strip again. Mm -hmm. And th that's when Sonic's World is bad, when it's mm -hmm. just used as another little fluff space to do a Sonic story. Yeah. Turns out, Scream Theme Park, we can see from the preview image here, it's a Corona image, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, that's a Corona-drawn image. Looks like. It's a Short Fuse versus Max Gamble story. <laughs> hey. So that's Max Gamble back from the recent Tales yeah. story. And hey, a bit of Short Fuse. Mm. Complete Sonic's World story. Why all not? right, all right, all why right. not? Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm on board for a bit of that. that that'll, it's more interesting than Sonic running around doing something. I'll take Short Fuse doing a bit of irrelevant fluff more than i'll take sonic doing a bit of a yeah i know what you mean because yeah. i've already got a sonic strip in the story at least let me look at something different in the process like yeah plus sonic heroes and villains tales troop of trouble knuckles village of the dam this is just <laughs> story titles isn't it it's just knuckles village of the dams <laughs> uh plus summer olympic games review okay oh, carnival capers graphic zone uh, and sonic <laughs> as if we we're ripping the piss out of this now as if we didn't start a podcast about children's comics <laughs> <laughs>
and the Sonic Q&A Q-Zone. <laughs> That's STC85 on sale Wednesday, the 24th of August, 1996, £1.20. Do you know what just occurred to me what? after the last episode? It's £1.20 for... Mm. <laughs> just now. Yeah, it's really locked in there. Why is it going to get dearer again? Yeah, does it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It goes up a couple of times does before it, it all ends. Because there's got to be an upper down. limit to the price you can oh, put yeah. on these things at all, right? I don't think it ever gets as dear as 150 but it definitely okay. goes up a couple of times. But it's like it was 95p for six months. Yeah. Then it was a £1.10 for I don't remember how long. Why would you? I'm, I'm amazed you can remember the first one. <laughs> well, I can remember because it changed with issue 13 because oh. that was the belt clip issue. Uh. And the first echo issue. And there were circumstances <laughs> surrounding the price increase where I was like, not much of a free gift. They've charged oh, me 15p remember, yeah. more for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It went up twice between issue 12 and the first redesign issue. Because the redesign issue was where it became £1.20. So it's been mm. £1.20 since the Brotherhood oh, of Metallics started. Flipping yeah, it. Ages. Absolutely ages. How much longer can it be £1.20? It's surely got to go up in 1997, if not before the end of this year. Must do. Must do. We'll keep an eye out for it. There's, there's, keep your thing, real finger on the pulse. Thrilling scenes. Spot it. I guess... Uh... I don't know, but I could guess inflation was at a comfortable, steady pace in 1996. And... I guess so. <laughs> The sales were good, things were holding just nicely. Yeah. And it all went over the edge of the cliff in 1997. <laughs> Look forward to that, listeners. Recycled paper comes in, the page count goes um, down. But that's in the future. Yes. Now we live in the good times still. Yes. Plenty of them yet to come. So come and listen to us again next time in two weeks. You can find us at stctp.com. Zone. God, I love that. I love saying that. <laughs> Do you want to say it? No, you just said it. I love hearing <laughs> you say it as well. stctp.zone. There, I said it as well. Great. Yeah. Love it. That's it's our new fun, website address. Yeah. Dot Thanks zone. We got a dot zone. Ah, dot zone. Are there yes. any other Sonic websites on the internet that end in dot zone? There must be. If, I, if you owned any Sonic website, you'd put it straight on dot zone, wouldn't you? I didn't know it could be done. I didn't know. No, I'd never heard of it before as a thing until we got this. Yeah. You can also find the show most places good podcasts are available as well. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Sonic Podcast, stptc.zone, and at Sonic Podcast. We are on the pig's back. <laughs> and you can follow us on there individually. I am at Demon Tomato Dave. And I am at Crispy Feely. And we are able to do this because of you the listener our wonderful patrons anyone who isn't a patron don't listen this isn't for, this you. Isn't for you our wonderful patrons not like those listeners who aren't yeah. patrons ding the please <laughs> if you want to join the really Free cool people scum if you want to join the really cool people who not only do they fund the production of this show but they get a load of stuff we don't just it's not it's not for exposure they get a load of stuff right they get videos that's what they get. Videos. Yeah, videos. I said it like there was more. And audios. That's what they get. I mean, they get the audio. They get too, audio they versions yeah. of the videos. Yeah. Yeah. We look at the Martin Adams novels, the classic mm. Sonic UK novels, currently still plowing our way through Sonic the Hedgehog and the Silicon Warriors. Yes. And the unpleasant experience that is my childhood Sonic fanfic, The End of Mobius, to which we are barreling toward a conclusion nah. at the time of recording. I don't believe it anymore. It's never going to end, honestly. It is, honestly. We have said a lot of times now we're nearly finished. No, no, we're not. No, we're not. It's, it's very nearly finished. Mm -hmm. It's very nearly finished. It's going to go Scratch on nose. and on until I die. <laughs> 
Oh dear, that's the final episode, is that I go around and kill Chris. Well, I mean, where do we go from there, you know? <laughs> it's, but he's fine the next episode, it's Yeah, fine. it just turns out, you know, you just took me to sick bay and I was fine. <laughs> uh, so you'll find that at patreon.com forward slash stctp, I think is how it works. Yeah, I believe that is correct. Our theme song was Synchronized, that's by a band called Sonic the Comic. You can find them at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. But we are a podcast called Sonic the Comic. The podcast. And we will see you next time. time. He did have a rummage around in it already as soon as Plunder presented him with it. Might take that out and use that without context. Don't be dirty.